0: Mika guys, I have to see what you look like. You want to see what it looks like when two people don't know how to dress themselves? <laughs> well, then you should watch our new video on our YouTube channel. Right. It is called How Many Cities Are in Los Angeles County? And it's all about, again, I'm going to spoil it, the 88 <laughs> cities of Los Angeles. We've got a lot. of You'll see us talking. We're doing some physical comedy. Oh, we,
1: man. Does he look at him weird? He sure does. All the energy of the intros you, we used to write pretty much went into this video that we shot. uh, But in the best possible way. In the best possible way. And we
0: go to every single city in Los Angeles. You can watch this
1: video on YouTube. Say something nice in the comments. If you have something mean to say, go ahead and type it into lorepodcast.com. If you have
0: something mean to say, put it through the regular forums, which is the passenger window of our car as we drive by down the street. Enjoy the video. Watch it.
1: You listen to us, so you must love history.
0: You must listen to us, so you probably wish there's other history podcasts, don't you? I
1: guarantee. I bet you listen to our podcast and think, this can't be it. There's got to be
0: another way. And there is. There's the Hometown History Podcast. Oh, what's that? They share personally curated histories from hometowns (laughs) around the globe with history from lesser known cities in the world than Los Angeles. If you want to hear about the rest of the world, you're not going to hear it here. So you got to go to Hometown History Podcast, which you can find anywhere you get your Podcasts. So, turn this off. Go listen to the hometown history podcast, you dorks! Hometown history podcast. Anywhere podcasts are found.
2: Hello. Ah.
0: 100th birthday to you Just me?
1: Yeah. Or us as a collective.
0: Happy 100th birthday to Greg, only as an individual. Happy
1: Hanukkah to you. (laughs) Allie Meekly, episode 100 100. is recording right now. The episode that'll have you saying, that's too many episodes. The episode that'll have you saying, it was 100 months ago that I
0: stopped (laughs) liking this show? Because our first episode was our best episode. Yeah, it it really was.
1: Everyone says, when you guys huddled over one microphone and didn't know what you were (laughs) doing, <laughs> that was you at your best. You peaked at the first episode. Look, we can take a trip down memory lane later in oh the my episode. God. Okay,
0: uh, which is still, why we this whole show should just be called Memory
1: Lane. It should be called Memory Lane, yeah. the name of an old junkyard, <laughs> Sanford and Sons. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, this is our 100th episode. Could you ever believe it?
1: No. Could if you, you told me nine years from now we'll still be doing this, pretty much. Very little has changed. We have a we have a mixer we, now. Uh, yeah,
0: everything will be the same except we both have like replacement spines right, because right, 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 we're right, right. so old. Yeah. Nine
1: years from now. I'm lit. You have a microphone up to an iron lung, which <laughs> I'm plugged into right now. <laughs>
0: to think I could be I'm going to be twenty years old in nine years. That's unbelievable. <laughs> that's just disgusting. Twenty year olds should not be
1: doing podcasts. I mean, like I know that I was a child prodigy and I <laughs> I, I sort of saw this coming. I was so I was so
0: smart. <laughs> the and- first six years of this podcast, you had to change my diapers it, during the episodes. Yeah, you there- could Hear it. We yeah. never brought it up, but you if you listen back, which you should multiple times, mm-hmm. you can hear it in you our can earlier hear episodes. hear
1: me struggling and then eventually figuring out how to do it and the, the, finding the confidence in myself to know yeah. that I don't have to stare at your wiener all the time. I can look at other things. you belly probably button your stomach.
0: Yeah, a hundred. God, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say me about a hundred episodes of this show. Here's
1: what I'll say. It certainly feels like it. Huh, okay,
0: hurtful. well, I guess I know one thing to say. This is, there won't be a 101st. Uh, <laughs> you uh, promise? That, that was so painful. Today. <laughs> Should we get to our uh, our special toast? Yeah, we before? have two
1: guests with us today. We and have- we do.
0: There. Two, don't tell
2: my wife. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm here
1: with the lady,
0: and she is in
1: a cup. <laughs> <laughs> I got to take my headphones off the gun Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell Ada. Daniel uh, wait, is- Do you hear this?
2: Cool that's not. That's
0: not just the nerves of my teeth chattering for our one hundredth episode this time.
1: My beautiful girlfriend Ada concocted a travel kit for us to. I am drinking. I guess we should just say it now.
2: Yeah, we're gonna have to. Yeah,
1: okay. Today we're gonna talk about the historic mayor of Los Angeles, a lady who came
0: up so much, not so much recently, but in the earlier in, in the earlier years, she came up like every other episode, yeah. and we always but joked like, like everywhere, like in every like she was always a side character in every story, and we always joked of like if we ever get to a hundred episodes, yeah. but. If people even live that long, we're going to have our 100th episode be about Mary Pickford. Mary Pickford. And look, here we are, and that promise we made to ourselves that doesn't quite apply (laughs) to her being a big part of this show anymore holds true.
1: (laughs) Mayor Pickford. Um, So I'm drinking a Mary Pickford cocktail. It's called a Mary Pickford. It's pineapple juice, white rum, grenadine, and maraschino liqueur. And you, who don't drink as we learned from... (laughs) Me, who doesn't drink as we've learned from my personality... Uh, From all my hangups.
0: Uh, I'm drinking a Shirley Temple. That's right. Because they're like the two people that were described as like old curly top, like yeah, the the, yeah, the, yeah. the little girl with the golden curls. <laughs> and they both are red, yes. which is strange. Uh, yeah, I'm drinking a Shirley Temple. Uh, you use Sprite. Classic. I use
1: Sprite. as a lemon, lime, ginger ale. Grenad- oh, you use ginger ale too? Yeah. Very nice. I was
0: Grenadine. in the bathroom. I don't know what you put in this. I was in the bathroom. So I've, I've, I'm going against all the advice I got whenever I go to a bar. <laughs> but I went to the bathroom while you were Mixing my drink.
2: <laughs> you know,
1: I went out of my way to get maraschino cherries for
0: you. You did, and you didn't bring anything to scoop them with. So I like so you dig I, your we bolted, nasty fingers. It in was me. like Halloween night. I was no. bobbing for maraschino cherries.
1: <laughs> you said like, I can grab it with my tongue. I said please don't, and you did it. And you're like, look, like Sherilyn Fenn, I'm like, no. What you're thinking of when she wraps the stem with her mouth? You're doing something else. Is this,
0: is this turning you on when I bob for maraschino cherries out of this jar that my face doesn't fit in? Now it looks like I'm wearing lipstick
1: because it's all over my
0: mouth. So let's cheers, cheers. to our. One hundred episodes of this. Well, look, we'll get maudlin at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, We're too far apart to really cheer. So I'll hear it.
1: Cheers to my microphone. Cheers Cheers through a lot.
0: (laughs) And we are both electrocuted. (laughs) Let's have a sip. Okay. Oh, my God. We're also having like a tug of war with our headphone yeah. cable. So Everything w- is so both, tight on this table. We can't both drink at the same time.
1: Okay, you go. It's, like, it's like a seesaw. <laughs> it's kind of like Squid Game. <laughs> Which you finally watched.
0: Mm. It
2: came
1: out in what, like 2015?
0: Mm. I'm, not t- I'm not listening to you. <laughs> uh, I'm drinking a Shirley Temple. That's what like I'll, like my uh, uh, Hope You Brought Wine, Live, Laugh, oh, Love, right. <laughs> signs. They just say, don't. I'm not listening to you. I'm drinking a Shirley Temple.
1: I can't go anywhere without a, a glass of wine.
0: <laughs> don't talk to me before Shirley Temple. <laughs>
1: before Shirley Temple. It's Shirley Temple o'clock Someone. Uh,
0: delicious. Good. And I will have it here, right next to all the electrical equipment. <laughs> like I said, we'll get into more about uh, the last hundred months of our lives, but let's let's start the actual show okay. here. Uh, we have one new Patreon person oh, cool. to, to welcome in this month, and like I always assume, this one is related to you. Yes, Lizzie Granillo. Granillo. Lizzie Granillo.
1: kid Who's what? What? Who's that? Uh, Lizzie is probably my first best friend. She's my cousin on my mom's side. Oh, and she's great. And she's listening. She's been. Yep. She's been listening to a lot of her episodes lately, and I feel bad, but I love sending her postcards, or that I'm going to be sending her postcards. Nah, I got her this month, and she's my
0: first best friend, too. <laughs>
1: yeah, how's it feel? How's it feel now?
0: <laughs> oh, boy, I had one sip of Shirley. And I'm, <laughs> and
1: I'm already on one.
0: <laughs> Whenever I drink red things, I get that fiery Nah-ha. Shirley energy. Before we talk about this month, let's talk about what uh, we did in the last month of right. uh, February. The short month. Wait, right. no, 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 it's April. So March. March. But the March. March, the long month.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, It's got all the days in it. <laughs> Me and my girlfriend Ada celebrated our fifth anniversary. So we went to Perch, that, a beautiful rooftop restaurant in downtown on oh, Olive right, Hill that looks right. over a Pershing Square. And it was quite weird. Pershing Square. Pershing Square. We had a great time until so I got hiccups for two days. Um, <laughs> you must have had a beautiful view of that park. That lovely, the greenery. The we were up there and I kept thinking like, a rack could get up here if it wanted to. <laughs> if it feels really determined to get up if here. If he was
0: really thirsty. If he was really looking for a, a date that Yeah, night.
1: that's the place that I would love to take you and Melissa. To. It's got a great view of the city, and you know, she can have a good time uh, with great cocktails. And you can just uh, they have drive us all home. Greg, do they have Shirley Temple? <laughs> they have to have Shirley Temple, <laughs>
0: Another thing that's come out of this 100 months of doing this show is you and Ada. Oh, that's all right. You met her as On our she was first our first field trip, trip, trip episode. That's right. Ah, the memories we could reminisce over. Oh, the number of women I've met doing <laughs> this <during the> <laughs> That fling I
1: had with Debbie Harry. <laughs> um, I had to break it off with her. You're like, listen, Debbie Harry, I get it. You're gorgeous, but I got things to do. But I got do. a heart of glass. <laughs> I've got a rapture. The tide is high? Is that you? <laughs> uh, we got the beat. Um, I think. No,
0: it's my other girlfriend. <laughs> all right, let's talk about my thing of the month. Okay. This is the place that I love it. I I don't think I've talked about it before, but it's Bee's Bakery. No, you haven't. you know I'm a believer. I don't think I've talked about it on the show. Oh, that's another thing. We both ate chili dogs right before this. We did. We went so, to Cupid's. Yeah. In honor of Mary Pickford, that's who right. we once mentioned like chili dogs. And we're like, well, and we're like, getting Tome chili dogs.
1: Tommy's dog. in our fifth episode. I know. And been, we've been writing that joke for so long. It's not even a joke. We've been writing that fact for so long. We have so little, Greg.
0: <laughs> but Bee's Bakery yep. in either Encino or Tarzana, it's on Reseda and Ventura Boulevard. Mm-hmm. But it's like one of the few remaining Jewish style okay. delis. Mm-hmm. And not delis. Bakeries. Let me, let's just start from. You're them. so hopped up on Shirley Temple. I know. Right? I every I when I have a sip of Shirley Temple, <laughs> I just gotta have some corned beef. It's a bakery, and, and then, it has the rugula that we had at our wedding. We got from Bee's Bakery, but I've been going there forever. Mm-hmm. There, uh, they call them chocolate danishes. I always just refer to them as babkas in a weird shape. Okay, but, uh, you don't know what don't I'm saying. Like, yeah, pre- you yeah, don't know what this d- is. All stuff I Dutch heard in
1: are? 70s movies. I know that much. If it's 70s and it takes place anywhere in You've New been York, watching
0: too much Once Upon a Time in America <laughs> again. Do you? remember the babka scene in taxi driver there's got to be a hard to me
1: oh. <laughs> are you babka to me there's no one else here you must be Bobka to me <laughs> there's gonna be
0: a hard Bobka that's gonna clean this city yeah they, they do really good chocolate danishes and the black and white cookies wonderful oh. delicious they've been around forever and they're very very good and i got it in this past month and it reminded me just how much i love sugar which is why i'm gonna <laughs> you're a temple.
1: maniac where's it at
0: Wow, well, he's had like three sips of a uh, Mary Pickbury and doesn't remember I just said it's on Reseda and in
1: Ventura. He has half a Shirley Temple and it's already been mean to me. That's cool.
0: Uh, let's see who could get more aggressive <laughs> from our vices.
1: I love that most of the time, I almost want to like bet somebody that your thing of the month is either going to be food or animal related. I consciously try to not make it food related, yeah. but
0: then I'm like, all I did this month was go get things to eat. <laughs> the only time I saw The Sun. And The Sun is the name of another bakery that I like. It, yeah, if you want to taste, of old Jewish (laughs) and that is my brand a little white Latino boy loves Jewish stuff can I get a black and Blanco uh, cookie? So we'll do our listener question at the okay. end. And like we said, this is our 100th episode. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about Mary Pickford, the mayor Pickford. unofficial mayor of Los Angeles and the unofficial mascot of LA Meekly. Whenever we have our sporting events, there's always a big mascot with a giant head version of Mary Pickford That's that right. comes
1: out. Mostly curls. Yeah. It's, you don't know what it's age it is. an exaggerated
0: thing. You can't even tell there's a face. It's just curls on top of a body and it rides out on a seadoo. <laughs> yeah. So let's do it. You're are going to start us off and telling us about her life and I'll be jumping in
1: with and a little bit about what some a things. life. <laughs> okay. Mary Pickford was born Gladys Marie Smith in April of 1892 in Ontario, oh. Canada. America's sweetheart was born in Ontario, Canada. I know. Canada. Already. <laughs> already.
0: Like we can't... America's sweethearts are too abrasive and unappealing. We got to import a Canadian to be the...
1: We had America's sweetheart picked but she had a confederate flag tattoo <laughs> so we had to go with <laughs> yeah. Canada who doesn't know what that is. As one biography Puts it talking about Mary Pickford's childhood is hard because she really didn't have one. I feel like that's a little bit of an because exaggeration. Because her whole life was her childhood, because she was America's sweetheart. <laughs> because she was America's sweetheart, she kind of had a childhood. She had a lot of happy memories. You know, in her autobiography, she remembers that she would like buy a single rose and eat the petals, believing the beauty and the color and the perfume would somehow get ingest. She would ingest the beauty of a rose if she ate it. She remembers that's riding, really sad. Oh, that,
0: that's oh. like one of the saddest details of anybody's life I've ever heard.
1: Oh yeah, she remembers riding her bike around. Street in her street in Toronto and one of her best memories is getting a bike for her birthday. She was a little emotionally sensitive girl born into a really poor family. That's really her start. Over the next four years, the Smiths had two more kids, Charlotte, who they called Lottie and John Charles, who they call, they call everyone called him Jack. It's really confusing because their mother, her name is Charlotte as well. So they, you know, they named their daughter, they nicknamed their daughter Lottie. Just, if you don't want to get confused, name it something else. Yeah, but, she
0: has to be a living
1: tribute yeah, to her mother. There needs to be one Charlotte in the family if the tax bank comes. <laughs> so if something happens to me, there needs to be a she Charlotte. She was born as a pyramid scheme. <laughs> John. It's a bouncing baby pyramid scheme. Their dad's name was John, and they named the son John. So they're like, Nick, your nickname is Jack. Just give them different... Okay. Her dad could never really hold a job because he was an alcoholic, which makes holding a job other than being a professional alcoholic really hard. Uh, this alcoholism was an, an immediate issue as the family was dirt poor but also not only were they dirt poor his alcoholism had like lasting effects on the kids. From her biography, I found this. That
0: doesn't sound like the alcoholism I know.
1: No, 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 no. Kids for sure forget (laughs) it. Uh, From her biography, I found this passage regarding the the Smith and Pickford kids. The children of alcoholics live in a quagmire of emotions combining love and fear of the ailing parent with an aching need for his approval. They may overempathize towards those they perceive as the drunkard victims, and their wish to replace the drunken parent by bearing his responsibilities turns them into mini-adults and perfectionists. Sadly, their anxiety and stress is kept by a horror of causing pain to other people as Mary grew she displayed these empathetic traits with textbook precision yikes
0: i can't think of a better topic for us to have picked for our 100th episode (laughs) what a fun light time Uh, our 100th celebration there's like balloons and fireworks (laughs) behind me and a bunch of puppies running around
1: people are they are pouring champagne and they pour it from the cup back into the glass (laughs) they somehow
0: put the cork back in
1: (laughs) usually this is impossible but the yikes of this moment made me do it i read that passage and i was like huh None of that applies to me. <laughs> your nose started. Yeah. <laughs> That's not about me at all. So after little Jack was born, their father oh. pretty much abandoned the family. And after about- You were a- America's sweetheart too for a while, weren't you? I was America's sweet. I had America's first sweetheart syndrome, yes. Uh, it was an implant. America's first sweetheart implant. My heart transplant. failed,
0: and they had to transplant a heart from perform- a Sour Patch Kid, and yes, that was me. <laughs> that was you a might movie. remember. I've, it's 100 episodes. I'm ready to admit that.
1: So after little Jack was born, their father abandoned the family, and after about a year and a half, died from a cerebral hemorrhage after an Jeez. accident at work on a steamship when he banged his head really hard against a pulley. Okay, this is page my worst one. nightmare. This is page one, <laughs>
0: colon, my worst nightmare. Because that's like- I don't think he was on a steamship, but I think that's what happened. You don't think you're going to get an accident on a steamship? N- not me. You're gonna, not with these sea legs.
1: I was chasing this goat that had my candy on the Queen Mary, and I banged my head real hard.
0: <laughs> but that's what happened to Bob Saget. What they think happened to Bob Saget? He was he, on a
1: steamship. He was Mark Twain. <laughs> when you win the Mark Twain Award, you become Mark Twain for a year.
0: <laughs> they think that he like hit his head on something and like got a concussion
1: or something, God, and, that's, and he went to sleep. Concussions or, and aneurysms. Oh, yes. Yes. Man,
0: I've had a concussion. Have you had a concussion? I've had a, I had a minor concussion when I was younger, and I went blind in my left
1: eye for like 20 minutes. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty scary. I love knowing you had brain damage and to think that <laughs> Oh, I get it. I've been letting you abuse me for so long. <laughs> it was just brain damage that was wrong with you. You're not arrogant. No, you don't no, have a problem no, with no, people. Is- you banged your head. <laughs> so their dad died. Gladys was particularly grief stricken with her dad's death and their mother completely withdrew into isolation until one day her son Jack got real sick and she had to like snap out of it. So now the family that was financially limping was now officially crawling. They like had no money. So she was the seamstress. Now she had to really kick into gear. They started making money any way they could, and one of those ways was renting rooms in their home to boarders. Uh, one of the first boarders they had in their home, after a string of single women, was a married couple with the last name Murphy. Husband Murphy was a stage manager for a theatrical stock company, a troupe called the Coming Stock Company, who performed at Toronto's Princess Theatre. Very apt. He offered to cast both the girls, Gladys and Lottie, in a play he was managing. Their mom was a little hesitant, but when Murphy offered her to come down and meet the cat, because at the time, but it's the late 1890s. Acting was like, what, so you're a prostitute? Like people make you money (laughs) and you, you act as like you're the governor? It was really looked down upon. It was like similar enough to like a traveling circus where a mom would be like, I better check this out first. So she went down and checked it out and she felt this rag, this like group of ragtag actors are pretty decent and the girls would be earning $8 a week which was like desperately needed mm-hmm. in their house. So, hey, you're telling me. <laughs>
0: Sign up for our Patreon.
1: <laughs> and put us in a play. Whatever play you want.
0: If you want us to be in some sort of late 1800s <laughs> strip show or whatever, we'll do it for $8 a month.
1: So she sent her children, in particular Gladys, out to make money and she also went with them and she like played organs for certain shows. Mm. Gladys Smith theatrical debut was in a play called The Silver King. The year was 1900, the turn of the century, the literal turn of the century. And little Gladys was eight years old. She had one line in her play in her very first play, Silver King, 1900. She was eight years old. She had one line and would later come onto stage to perform as a boy playing with toys. So she, already in her first role, she's already playing two parts. Her role was as a fatherless child, <laughs> which maybe was a little too close to home for any other little girl. But this was not just any little girl. The first movie star of Hollywood, which was not even a thing yet, channeled her raw emotions and dropped the first hint to the troupe that she had a star quality. That didn't matter at the time, though, because their eight-year-old felt the burden of responsibility to her family and was happy to be helping to support them. Like, an eight-year-old girl got $8 and was like, my family gets to live for another week. Like, that's how, like, Mary Pickford was as a little girl. In their house, education was a luxury, so over the span of two years, Gladys got about six months of school in. So the stage performing was the Shot she had at any kind of education, any kind of a future was on that stage. Gladys and Lottie's appearances had gone over so well, they were now invited to be part of this acting troupe, so they would be traveling with them, with their mom and Jack. Suddenly, little eight year old Gladys Smith is now a working actor. By 1905, she was making $25 a week performing with this troupe. She kept acting at small productions and traveling, and as her talents and stage presence grew, she and her two siblings got small parts. I heard like off Broadway, I also heard that she did some stuff on Broadway, which was a huge step up up from traveling with the low end acting group because now she was could put her family up in a hotel and like they like felt stable for a little bit if she was like performing on broadway or even like in a stable theater like oh wow this is what having a home is like that's pretty (sighs) nice this is still toronto Broadway. Yeah, she's still in Canada. Yeah. Broadway went that far? You know, actually, I think they might have been in the States at this point. While well, touring, the Smiths made friends with another traveling acting family in a very similar situation. The two daughters of his other family were Dorothy and Lillian Gish. Whoa. Two future Hollywood huh. stars of the silent era and the Gish sisters and the Smith siblings became lifelong friends. Uh, if you've seen Night of the Hunter with Robert Mitchum, the old woman he faces off with at the end is Lillian Gish, <laughs> which is how I know her because I don't... So their lives improved exponentially when they performed for these bigger shows. In particular, they did a, sh- a play called Edmund Burke and and it was like they all went legit as well as the audiences being better and making Gladys work harder at her craft. This allowed the family, like I was saying, some stability. And that really mattered to Gladys when that show closed, the family went back to Toronto. But Gladys continued with the troupe alone. So her family went back to Toronto and she is what, like nine at this point. And she's already like, all right. La, la, la. Well, that's, a, that's a Canadian adult the way that girls mature faster than boys is the way that Canada matures (laughs) faster than America.
0: Canada, the older sister. (laughs) The older sister. The younger sister that acts like the older sister to America.
1: But having a taste for a better life as an actor was addictive. And in 1907, Mm -hmm. at the age of 15, she was more determined than ever to go legit. She set her sights on the biggest producer at the time, David Belasco, the Bishop of Broadway. On top of being the... No idea who that is. I think I know and I don't know. Like, it's weird. <laughs> like, if is the Belasco Theater named after oh, him? Oh, that
0: makes sense.
1: If, if, it's, made, if it's named is after Bishop him. Is
0: Bishop California named after him? Are the chess pieces named after him? <laughs> is chess a metaphor for a show
1: <laughs> business? On top of being the best producer, in her eyes, the best producer, he cultivated the talents of actors like Blanche Bates and Leslie Carter, who I don't know, and <laughs> made them into stars. So Gladys, her clear... Well thought out plan was to hang out in his office and ask him for a role. Easy peasy. No big deal if she can get into the doors of the building, which she could not. And she tried every day for the most of the summer of 1907 trying to meet David Belasco, who was unmeetable. But she wanted it. She wanted this thing. She had her mindset. This was her plan. And she was sticking to it. And finally got a little wiser and contacted Blanche Bates, who Belasco made into a star. And she had worked with Gladys before and asked if she could use her name as a referral and an introduction to vouch for her. And when Blanche gave her blessings, it was like this weird adrenaline kick she needed to storm into his office, (laughs) demanding a meeting with him, screaming his name so loud. That Belasco... Belas- <laughs> like it was, like people restraining <laughs> this curly-haired Canadian
2: fifteen-year-old.
1: Blasco's <laughs> assistant eventually came down just to see what the where the fire was and found it. And she must have been so worked up, and he must have been so charmed that his assistant was like fine let's meet David Blasco <laughs> when she gets in front of him she says I'm the father of my family and I need to earn money and when she asked her why him she said my mother always told me to aim high or not at all and those were like the, those two things together clinched it he cast her, her mom's Yoda okay you seen that Star explains War- the curls Star Wars universe is so big it's so big <laughs> it's so big it stretches to Canada <laughs> <laughs> you thought it went as far as Northern California you're dumb
0: didn't you recognize Watto's accent There's a he's th- from Ottawa <laughs> Watto
1: So she clinched it. She would like really impressed him, and he was like, All right, well, I'm fine. I've made other women, and I can make you too. (laughs) He cast her in a small role that earned a low salary. So back to the bottom, but it was the bottom of the Belasco world, and she took it. But he required from her a big change Gladys Millboard Smith had been her credited acting name on stage but Belasco thought it sounded a little too self-important. At his suggestion, Gladys Smith changes her name to Mary Pickford pulling from her Christian middle name Marie and her grandfather's name John Pickford Hennessy. I thought it was
0: going to be like and her favorite activity, cherry picking. At the Ford
1: plant. (laughs) (laughs) Cherry picking racist comments from Henry (laughs) Ford's transcripts. I like this one but not this one. And the change was so popular that her whole family changed their names. Charlotte, Lottie and Jack all took on the name Pickford that's what was he like I, I didn't mean this yeah I bet it was witness protection like <laughs> acting in America when you're Canadian is like everyone's got to change your name if too. the prime minister finds <laughs> out about this oh boy oh and so Oops. now they are the traveling Pickfords. <laughs> Through her <run>, and <laughs> Just like the Beverly Hillbillies. She was cast in a play called The Warrens of Virginia, and she toured North America and Canada, and the journalists writing about the production noted the hometown girl that ascended to the heights of the Belasco production. Her acting chops were top-notch, because she's been acting since she was like eight years old. So she's doing really good, and she's getting people kind of talking about her. But in 1909, when the play wrapped, she was suddenly out of a job. Her mother suggested she try finding work at these little novelty Flickr Studios making like 8 minute movie motion pictures. Oh, her
0: mom was fine with that? Go work at the Flickr Studio. Yeah, the Flickr. But st- act on Broadway. Ooh.
2: What? Why would you <laughs> ever do that?
1: <laughs> what are you from? Calgary? <laughs> but seriously, if you could make some money being a ghost <laughs> on film, that would be great. If you didn't catch it, Novelty Flickr Studios making 8 minute motion pictures. That was like filmmaking in its true infancy. Like the seed of right. it was like the year two yeah. of like filmmaking. Yeah, like it
0: was her like brushing her hair and that, exactly. that one in Oscar. Exactly. Before Oscars even existed. It was
1: a real Oscar. You yeah, want him. Yeah, you got him. worked was, for you. So many people named
0: Oscar <laughs> back then. And you, They just gave him out like candy.
1: Mary thought that this was an awful idea. She was a true actress working on the stage for David Belasco. Why would I jump on TikTok? I have integrity. Why would I start a <laughs> Flick TikTok? Talk. Flick talk. talk. <laughs> Flick flock. <laughs> A hundred episodes. <laughs> episodes just to seek up for that one time. Good night, everybody. But she was scared of saying no to her mom. She was scared of having no money for the family. So she went over to ask for work at the American Mutoscope Company a year before it became Biograph Studios. <laughs> what is she from? Montreal? I'm slowly going to run out of Canadian cities. <laughs> what sense. is she from? Nova Scotia that you could use that one too. <laughs> Don't steal it. <laughs> <laughs> and she went up to the studio that eventually became Biograph and met up with a principal director there, D.W. Griffith, who was nobody at the oh, time. okay. He's gonna come up
0: in my thing, and I—that was the one question I could not answer. I was like, I get how these other people
1: relate to Mary Pickford. Why does she know D.W. Griffith? <laughs> these two were like year one. Like you're a nobody, I'm a nobody. Okay. Let's work together. Weird. At the time, that name, like I said, she was in Birth of a Nation, right? She's everywhere. She's like uh, Eddie Jackson, uh, Eddie Jackson. She's like Eddie Murphy in uh, Birth of a Nation. <laughs> she plays everybody.
0: The only outrage about it at the time was that those hoods covered her curly hair. <laughs> Everything else was fine to everybody.
1: Working for this novelty picture studio would earn her $5 a week with a minimum three-day work week, which was insulting. She was a Blasco girl, for Christ's sake. She'd been on Broadway. What am
0: I from, Vancouver?
1: <laughs> Hold on, Daniel's got to <laughs> Google something unrelated to this bit that he's running. D-
0: don't mind
1: me. I'm watching pornographies right now, so don't mind me. <laughs> don't mind me. I'm watching Birth of a Nation. It's okay. <laughs> Charmed, just like Belasco and Belasco's assistant, Griffith agreed to her demand. She accepted $10 a week. But a strange thing happened. Mary Pickford fell in love with the movies and having her image oh. and presence captured on film. She came to see it as a tr- how unvain. <laughs> she came to see it as a true art form and florist working with D.W. Griffith, who was coming into his own as an artist who would make. The- Birth of a Nation. So she started appearing in films. I gotta Google something. Just real quick. So she started appearing in his films of Biograph and then started appearing in the films of the rival studio Independent Moving Picture Company both of which were in violation of Thomas Edison's patent. <laughs> Who wasn't? If you don't know Independent Moving we Picture. We don't have to go through that at whole No you let didn't me repeat it. Let me repeat the two pages I wrote last okay, month. To really understand this we gotta give the history of Eddie Mannix. So where does this guy come from? Okay. <laughs> Thomas Edison is making cameras in New Jersey. Okay. So humans
0: leave Africa.
1: I love when we meet each other you sugar high and me a little bit buzzed and we meet right in the middle that's perfect
0: <laughs> it's like in, in Harry Potter when like they both shoot spells at each other <laughs> like there's a green spell and a red spell and they both just hit each other
1: uh, Independent Moving Picture Company eventually it's run by Carl Lemley who we talked about last a lot last episode it eventually becomes Universal Pictures but mm-hmm. right now it's it's called Imp so in 1909 Pickford was seen in 51 of Griffith's films her very first film was in Griffith's Her first biscuits uh i, I loved, told
0: you movies were just like they were filming b-roll Man,
1: tie shoe give him my oscar the first 15 years of filmmaking was stock footage yeah I'm like girly it's banana <laughs> okay go on yeah. i don't know girly banana is pretty good but it, i don't i don't think it's gonna win the oscar this M- year my I think...
0: favorite photographer from back then was getty images <laughs>
1: <laughs> he just captured a feeling a mood she was 17 at the time and playing the part of a 10 year old which is something that she's i'm mean, happy to see that things in hollywood are exactly the same <laughs> on the set of the this movie she meets she another Melrose place yeah I'm in high school I'm in high school and watch me tie my shoe <laughs> Oscar get over there on the set of this movie she meets another actor working for the studio Owen Moore more on that later mm-hmm. later that year mm-hmm. she gets her first starring role as Jean Giannina in the violin maker of Cremonia in a review with the New York dramatic mirror Mary is singled out with this quote this delicious little comedy introduced again an ingenue whose work in biograph pictures it's attracting attention. And uh, here's the thing about Biograph Studios, and I think a lot of the studios at the time, they didn't credit their actors, because if they credit their actors, they would want more money. They credited the director, but because they wanted like, oh, that's our troupe, the Biograph troupe. They don't, yeah, Yeah, so. These are our props. Yeah, you as an actor represent your troupe, not yourself, but the actors were clearly stars. They were getting singled out because film audiences want to talk about their favorite things, and because they didn't know her name, Mary Pickford was becoming famous as the Biograph Girl. Everybody was talking about the Biograph Girl. She shared this title with another Big actress at the time with a great name, Florence Lawrence. It sounds like a like when they pick on you. Florence, Lawrence is here. Pickford was also called the girl with the golden curls and blondie locks. All right. One's better but than the other for
2: goldie sure. Did
0: goldie locks not exist that back then? Did, was gold goldie so locks, scarce? Th- in the- gold
1: and blonde were different back then. <laughs> it's not even, it's speaking not even, of Debbie Harry. If she walked into the Ramones wherever they were squatting was like, this mattress on the floor is too cold. This mattress on the floor is too hot. <laughs> this heroin is too <laughs> <laughs> This piss covered mattress on the floor is too piss covered. <laughs> so, Blonnie Lux, the girl with the golden curls, the biograph girl. This is important because it meant that people were talking about it. Journalists and regular moviegoers alike were all talking about this girl that they kept seeing. She struck everyone. She often played young, innocent characters and she played them incredibly naturally. There were a lot of things that she did as an actress that she was doing, like fixing a piece of clothing during a scene or casually caressing another character. There was a lot of stuff that she was doing that other actors weren't doing. They were like kind of hamming it yeah. up and because it was silent, they were like over-expressing. Yeah. She went minute. She went specific. If I
0: caress this person's shoulder, how will the people in the back row see it? <laughs> exactly. I better push them and bold my eyes out as I
1: do so, so they know I did it. I'm not going to take a regular swing at you. I'm going to move my arm entirely (laughs) on the other side of the camera. I've got to wind it up. She played children, married women, servants, princesses, waifs, and to all her roles, she brought a sense of realism and was one of the first on-screen performers to stamp her presence onto every role that she took. She was also such a pro actress at the time that sometimes she directed her own scenes and she said that if she didn't agree with the director on something, she would refuse to perform it. So She was already Mm. like, I can tell you this
0: is going to cause trouble in her life
1: later on. I can't see how that's No. a combative woman in Hollywood no in the first half of the 20th century no <laughs> in any part of the 20th century no how would that so in January of 1910 Biograph Studios decides to innocently and with no ulterior motives just randomly for no big reason move out west to I don't know Southern California oh did do you say that no one in California has heard of Edison's patent on movie making? Oh, Barry. Here we go. You just can't odd. stop talking That's about Thomas Edison every episode. Odd. That's weird because we we're just going to go anyway. We we're just going to go to Southern California anyways.
0: Greg, you know that this is a Tesla podcast. <laughs> we don't talk about Thomas Edison.
1: They kept saying like, oh, the weather on the East Coast is not great right now. So we're just going to go to the West Coast and a film. But I'm like, I know what you were saying. <laughs> so they very innocently headed to Los Angeles along with Mary Pickford uh, and her 14-year-old brother Jack were 40 other Biograph cast and crew members in including Max Sennett, who would later become that era's king of comedy, creating the Keystone Cops. When they got here in 1910, Los Angeles... I'm still not sure where that name came from exactly. It's going to make me watch some comedies that I have to sit down and pay attention to, and I'm like, can't you be like a TikTok? can you be like... A meme? You be a yeah, can you be a Flick Flock? Can you be a Flick Flock? In 1910, Los Angeles was not much to look at. Apparently they they made a little shanty town at Grand Washington, which sounds like Shoots Park. I also read that they set up in a Chinese laundromat, like a little studio. Max Sennett apparently blew his... Is anime Wong's place? It, you know what part of me was like I wonder if it's a famous one there were famous laundromats was it wasn't a famous one Max said it apparently blew his wad renting a room at the Alexandria just to get a full bath and not too long into our city it seems they fell in love with what keeps being referred to keep every like three different articles were like they fell in love with the desert like it's not a desert it's semi-arid and they use a variety <laughs> <It's chaperone laughs> <It's chaperone. laughs>
0: does a desert have dead brush like this?
1: look at that river that's a that's a trickle of did someone spill a cup? did someone knock a cup over not a river <laughs> on top of the sand same- Gabriel Mountain. Their pool's leaking. <laughs> you just wait for two more years and you'll see the biggest flood of your life. And, the, you know, of course they're here. They discover the discoverable thing. We have a variety of locations here and you can film any terrain and have it be the movie you're making. Mm-hmm. They discover This is the crew that discovers it. The Unchanging the, Sea. The Lewis and Clark the of L- Hollywood. L- the Lewis and
0: Clark of filmmaking. Where's
1: their dollar coin? Well, who's their second Julia? Mary Pickford? Yeah.
0: Someone that D.W. Griffith put in some offensive makeup?
1: <laughs> <laughs> the Unchanging Sea, which is a film was shot on the Santa Monica Beach in Never Again. You can see Mary Pickford in a rowboat on Venice Canal. A Rich Revenge used the oil rigs of Edendale, which I didn't know Edendale had oil rigs. And Ramona uses shots of the Santa Monica mountains and canyons. The vast underpopulated Santa Fernando Valley provided rolling hills for several of their movies. But Mary's time, he was purely professional. She worked six days a week and when D.W. Griffith ran short of ideas, he turned to his actress. So Mary sold him three story premises. So her talents Got are- this idea,
0: expensive. woman brushes teeth, followed by the sequel, what- Nobody will watch it.
1: (laughs) It said that in 1912, the film friends. Mary Pickford was the subject of the first cinematic close-up shop, and we're not going to pay attention to the name of the, oh, the
0: one The one with the close-up shop? <laughs> the one where she has to move a couch upstairs? The the title card keeps coming up pivot like every four seconds. <laughs> it was the funniest thing to hit the flick
1: flocks. They had a chimp in a couple episodes of Mary Pickford. They had to invest widescreen
0: cool. so that they could fit Shenandler Bong on a title card. You know, seeing movies was impressive enough, so it was Visible Cat <laughs> <laughs> I they sang
1: about visibly stinky cat. Mary Pickford would not stay with Biograph for How long. How are
0: we seeing you? Uh,
1: go on. Mary Pickford would not stay with Biograph for long. She ended up leaving the studio for their rival, Carl Lemley's Independent Moving Picture Company of America, or IMP. She was making a hundred and seventy-five dollars a week with them, which was huge. Also, around this time, she was p- golly wow. I can buy two houses for that. How yeah, many Shirley Temples? <laughs> you drinking? I'll ruin my entire family drinking Shirley Temples around this time. She borrows a long elegant Dress from the costume department and marries fellow actor from our very first movie, Owen Moore. And she does it kind of secretly because her mom doesn't like
2: him.
0: Her mom was a big part of her life. Yeah, Yeah, she was her business manager. Right. Quote unquote business manager. Like like, a a Britney Spears situation. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, it is like a Britney Spears or any child actor is like, we're going to make sure you do all the right moves, but you're also paying me and I'm your parent. The money you get, I get a chunk of it.
0: Uh, I'm first and foremost your manager. Second, your mother.
1: You know what's so weird is when you see like... Like right now, I know I love Kieran Culkin. I think he's a great actor. I've liked him. I liked him for like a really long time. It's so funny that like people talk about Macaulay Culkin like this sad childhood, abused by his parents. And he like Kieran Culkin doesn't he's like, Yeah, I kind of just hung out in the back and took whatever small roles and I'm fine. Or is he? I have no
0: idea. I don't know. Is he has he recovered from being squished by that chair and home alone?
1: He, well, he peed in the bed so much that the squish of the chair really softened because <laughs> he peed because he drank Coca-Cola. I love Kieran Culkin. Anyways, getting married and working for Imp sends Pickford back. To New Jersey, so she leaves California. It only lasts like a year because, for some reason, IMP they end up moving operations to Cuba, so she goes with them. But then she comes back, breaks her contract with IMPs, and then joins Majestic Company. They're making two hundred twenty-five dollars a week, so she does some films there and with Selig Studio. But all the movies sucked, so she ends up going back to Biograph. When she returns, her old pals, the Gish sisters, find Mary Pickford, and they're like, "Can you help us?" So she gets them signed for Biograph and ends up making movies at DW Griffith too. This point in her life is the beginning of the Gish sisters becoming popular. Pickford split her. Time between working at the studios and returning to the stage for Belasco's production of A Good Little Devil. And she was getting great reviews, and her fan base was like swelling up. The year was 1913. And Adolf Zucker of the Famous Players Lasky Company was planning to adapt the production for film, and they tapped Mary Pickford to reprise her role that she played on stage. It wouldn't come out for a year, but in the meantime, Zucker signed Mary Pickford to the Famous Players for $500 a week, which is $13,000 in 2022. And with that, the door to movie started opened up. Around this time, she officially moves to Los Angeles, but because her later home was such a big deal, I can't figure yeah. out where. Don't talk about Because if that. you talk about Mary, if you type Mary Pickford home or Mary Pickford Los <laughs> Angeles, it only comes up with her future home. Who, Must have been easy for you to do research, on pal. Where did Thomas Jefferson
0: live before Monticello? Who cares? Or whoever lived at Monticello?
1: Who cares? <laughs> the Eagle's Nest. I kind of remember <laughs> parts of history and I Who mix lived them up. in the Eagle's Nest <laughs> before <laughs> Hitler? Who cares? Albert Einstein. In 1913, she was cast in The Bishop's Carriage, which was a huge success for Zucker, and the critics and regular nobodies loved it. She does a few more films within the year for her famous players Lasky, but in 1914, at the age of 22, Mary Pickford, who had been working hard since she was eight years old, was about to get her big break in Tess of the Storm Country, which was filmed in the Santa Monica Mountains and has one of the worst titles that I've <laughs> ever had to Mary would play Tess, a poor but heroic woman who makes the decision to care for a baby born to a suicidal, unwed mother. It was a sympathetic part that had some comedic elements to it, and it was the absolute perfect role for Mary Pickford at the time. And from what I read after this, it was Beatlemania. Like, Beatle, like she had Beatlemania. She had Pickford mania. She gained a whole new fan base because of this movie and her old fans who still thought of her as the biograph girl were rabid with adoration.
0: Did people sell curly wigs?
1: They sold curly wigs. Uh, Ed Sullivan wore a curly wig. Uh, Little girls tore up seats. This role truly sets mary pickford apart from her contemporaries and this is where she was she was marketed as america's foremost film actress mary pickford that's what people were calling her like her official title but a new phrase was coined to describe her and it was the first time this phrase was ever used and it was used specifically for mary pickford america's sweetheart really yeah so
0: that was the who's america's sweetheart today
1: Kieran Culkin? It's Kieran Culkin. It was a debate between him and Michael Sarah, but then Secession came out. That moniker was given to her by theater owner David Grauman, who's the father of Sid Grauman.
0: This is how far back we're going in Hollywood yep. that we're talking about the dad of, of the, s- oldest the oldest man, man in, in Hollywood. his Yeah, the
1: old the man who literally... Put <laughs> Methuselah the wall- Grauman? Cain and Abel Grauman? Oh, boy. When
0: <laughs> the Theater of Eden was such a nice place before what Cain did to Abel.
1: Am I my brother's theater?
0: Don't eat from the snack bar.
1: <laughs> you didn't eat the egg of... of- Forbidden Knowledge, did you? Uh, the egg. I didn't know. Did you go to the Apple Store of Forbidden Knowledge, did you? I didn't know. I was supposed to go in there. Silence your apples of, of knowledge. <laughs> After the success of Tessa of the Storm Country with her fame at its most potent, she was making $1,000 a week during production, which was $30,000 in today's money, making her the highest paid actress at that time. At this point, she really... I
0: mean, I'm, could- I mean, I'm just having a sad realization of like not even counting for inflation. If we're just taking those numbers, she's making way more money than I'm making yep. today.
1: <laughs> that amount she's making $1,000 a week is more than I'm making in 2022 yeah. a week. Have you tried being Mary Pickford though? I mean, I did cut my hair so <laughs> I guess I've lost my yeah. appeal to, to America. You'll find out what happened to her when she cuts her hair later. At this point, she could really negotiate any rate that she wanted. and It would be cleared because the whole movie watching world wanted Mary Pickford. I'm right. going to watch something. Is Mary Pickford in it? Yeah, yeah I'm probably going to watch it. Yeah. The <laughs> Who's next...
0: Harpo Marx,
2: <laughs> He Another had beautiful curly girls.
1: <laughs> he had beautiful golden girls. By the next year, she's dubbed the queen of the movies and she keeps starring in movies and she's a star of movies now rags stella maris daddy longlegs Cinderella the one with james Corden, and madam butterfly <laughs> in the girl of yesterday mary pickford's character is kidnapped and taken away by airplane which was filmed in growth park uh wait, I, wait
0: what taken away
1: by airplane in the film the girl of yesterday mary pickford's character is kidnapped and taken away by an, air, in, oh, an by airplane an airplane an airplane okay which I thought was, you meant that she the w- 70s
0: farce airplane
1: mary you can't be serious i am serious and don't call me mary um did i do that right i does your
0: father have a drinking problem? Yes. <laughs> yes, actually. Don't bring it up.
1: Yes, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> Anyways, the movie she made where she got in a plane. I read somewhere that. Mary's she, on a plane. Mary's on a plane. I read somewhere that she was the first actress to be filmed in an airplane, although people think it most likely it goes to Mabel Norman. I didn't double check that, but even if that's I true. I always
0: assumed it was Mabel
1: Norman. Even if that's true, people are like, yeah, but well, we like Mary Pickford more. <laughs> Let's give it to her. <laughs> but this was the first
0: time we w- liked watching it.
1: <laughs> Audiences show up for Mary for every single film that she's in. A Journalists describe Mary as the woman who was known to more people and loved by more people than any other woman that has ever been in history. By the way, the journalist that is quoted there. Adala Roger St. John, who was mentioned in the last episode who Clark Gable might have impregnated. Oops. I called her Roger St. John not knowing that by the time I was reading yeah, that. Yeah, yeah,
0: I remember you yeah. were telling me. Uh, and you're like, and,
1: yeah, I believe uh, Junior or Mr. Mom might have been bandied about. <laughs> Anyways, Adala Roger St. John is okay. her full name. Thank you for your patience and understanding in this time of need.
0: As with all episodes, <laughs> as we've been doing for a hundred months, we leave one critical piece of information out of every episode
1: that like you find out in the next f- First name. Okay, so now at the end of 1950, Mary and her husband, Owen Moore, attend a party in New York where she meets Douglas. Fairbanks, okay. who's also married. Hmm, okay, that's weird. And the two become very friendly. Hmm, that's odd. Pickford bangs out 20 successful movies for Zucker. She She's able to renegotiate her salary, and he agrees to $10,000 a week during production, which I didn't even calculate, but I'm sure it's $300,000. <laughs> but now she could choose, now part of the stipulations is she could choose her own projects and her own writers and directors and who she wants to work with. These would be released under the name Artcraft, which was a division of famous players Lasky, which eventually becomes Paramount. That plants a seed for her, and later that year, 1916, she opens up her own production company, Mary Pickford Film Corporation, making her the first female film star to own her own film company. Mary Pickford is the first movie star to reach that level of fame, the first businesswoman in the film industry, and the first woman to earn half a million dollars as a salary in the film industry, which she negotiated herself. Hmm. Like, a titan of the industry by 1915. But all was not... And w- all the while being yelled at by her mom. All the while playing a five-year-old. <laughs> but it all was not well with Mary Pickford's personal life as well as both her actress siblings being alcohol and drug abusers so was her husband Owen Moore remember the passage earlier about the children of alcoholics and how the pattern of their lives follows certain path her marriage through two marriages (laughs) one of the first things she said about the guy she married was like he reminds me of my dad not a good thing Uh, her marriage which was done against her mom's interest was tumultuous at best Owen Moore was a lousy angry drunk and Mary tried over and over in vain to make it work Mary continued putting 100% of her attention on her career maybe to compensate for how dead her relationship was or maybe to reach a level of success that would fix everything. Either way, not working. At the onset of World War I- Wait a
0: minute, you're saying success and fame won't fix
1: everything? It's weird. It's almost like you're saying half a million dollars a week during production is not enough to fix everything. Let's try a little bit more money. Hang on. In other words, are you trying to say that more money means more problems? I simply cannot fathom. I have 99 problems and my alcoholic husband- Is 99 99 of them. Yeah, 99 of them. At the onset of World War One, that's the mustard gas trench rat one, she kicked into patriot mode, going on the road to sell war bonds. In tow was her business manager and mother, Charlotte, and the pals in the industry, there's Charlie Chaplin, and oh... Douglas Fairbanks that's weird okay well, just yeah my male best friend who's straight and I'm straight we'll just go on a road trip together in San Francisco we're being chaperoned by the little tramp what could happen yeah and sure we have to drive by a bunch of high schools whenever he's here in San Francisco alone she no managed. Comment. no comment I was
0: gonna go something like he's pushing the car really fast and his legs are flailing you took it too far uh,
1: you got realistic which hurt me uh, in San Francisco alone she managed to sell two million dollars in war bonds just by herself and it's claimed that she's responsible alone for selling million in war bonds just by yourself just little mary pickford So all the soldiers had a little picture of like not all of them but a lot of soldiers carried a picture of mary pickford what to war with them in like a little locket
0: so you're saying that the destruction of europe and all the mass casualties from world war 1 are because of mary
1: pickford that that's a stretch but you know it's not it's not inaccurate
0: every bullet that went into a mm-hmm. german person was personally kissed by mary pickford
1: and what happened after world war 1 what did it lead to oh world war 2 Nazi
0: party rose up in World War II and who helped Mary Pickford get very popular D.W. Griffith (laughs) He ruined two continents. <laughs>
1: so they were wearing pins of Mary. That's like they like in lockets. They were, it was like not That's like so mandated, weird. but like Did you
2: know. What? Yeah, uh, here's your here's chocolate your, bar. Your, your,
1: your government issue photo of Mary Pickford. Go ahead and cut her face out in a heart shape and put it in a locket. And when she got back, she got the Spanish flu of 1918, and it wow. wasn't great. But also important around this time, maybe before, but definitely during this trip, Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks started having an affair. Uh, Both were unhappily married. When you're in Paris, when you're when you're, in, when you're we, liberating Paris, when you're in a trench. In Paris, hmm. uh, pretending that you're holding a gun, but it's actually just some op, and everyone's laughing at you because you're Charlie Chaplin <laughs> and you're asking where the high school's at. And while everyone, <laughs> 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 um, you're disgusting. Oh, I, oh, I'm disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Both, like I said, both were unhappily married, and this fair was for Mary, ways what she really wanted from a relationship. Fairbanks was everything that Owen Moore wasn't. He was like Douglas a
0: Fairbanks.
1: Pretty good. He was everything that her husband wasn't. He was dashing and sober. Uh, he was full of energy and optimism and was as ambitious as Mary. So he was sober at the time? Yeah. Or he was just he sober around her? He or? probably didn't drink to the point of being yeah. a maniac He like wasn't Douglas Fairbanks He probably like we know. was like debonair drunk, like, mm-hmm. I'm a little tipsy. Like, he was Nick Charles. He's just like, uh, everyone's having a good time and I'm shaking a foxtrot out of a martini glass. He, he probably wasn't like, <laughs> I ripped the floor off the ground. Sorry. Yeah, he was James Bond
0: when yeah. in reality he was Roger Moore.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's it. You nailed it. I would have, a possible answer, Sean Connery, Timothy Dalton, Daniel Craig. I also would have accepted Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers is also, what's the one that, uh, Lansley, what's the one that was in One Day's One movie? Angela Lansbury. Angela Lansbury. Murder, she wrote, and she does the barrel shoot. Murder, I'm licensed to. (laughs) She's also Yoda. But, Fairbanks and Pickford both knew that in, you know 1918 that a divorce and an affair were scandalous, right. even enough to ruin a career. And they were back hesitant at back to Eddie Mannix, and they were you know they were really scared to go for. They wanted to get divorces from their sibling for their, they wanted it from <laughs> oh, their spouses. Forgot to mention,
2: they oh, were married to their siblings. oh did they not
1: mention that? But in 1920 they went for it. They divorced their spouses and got married on March twenty eighth, nineteen twenty, with a small crowd of loved ones. The audiences didn't turn on them because both stars had such a devoted fan base that they were excited. So
0: they were willing to. They knew they were just like it was like the Avengers to them, but 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 real life.
1: It was like when you're in high school and the really hot girl and the hot guy yeah. who you're like that guy's really friendly. He's like not mean to me. Like they hook up and you're like good yeah. for them. They good make for, a good yeah. good
0: for them. No one will ever date me. <laughs> but this was like like my Captain hand America. My is stuck in my
1: locker. Yeah, this. Was Captain America. He's, and he's marrying um, Thor. Not even the characters. This is Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth getting married legally. me. All they've wanted. <laughs> they had such big fan bases that all the fans were so excited that, oh, my favorite two movie stars are getting yeah. together. They had such big fans that they got mobbed. Everywhere they went on their honeymoon on the streets fans were going crazy to see these two in the real world. It was the first time that a movie couple was getting the full 21st century celebrity treatment of like I sat down at a cafe just to have a biscuit and I have 150 people these two were now Hollywood royalty maybe we should talk a little bit about some other stuff Daniel huh, 1920s
0: so you want to know a little bit about what uh, our little friend Mary was up to I or? do you
1: know what I don't know where were these two people I, I don't
0: know where I am <laughs> why are my pants wet I mean we're still talking about Mary Pickford this was Mary yeah. Pickford's thing but this is a little a little detour of just hearing about this lady this unstoppable <laughs> lady who could do anything like buy a car like buy a car every day of the week <laughs> so So I'm going to be talking about United Artists, because what's better than a movie studio being run by an outsized personality with a massive ego being run by four of them? (laughs) This is what you were leading up to. We'll backtrack a little. We'll take one step back to take like uh, a half step forward. So in 1916 Old Mary became the first actor to produce her own films through famous players Lasky slash Paramount because she always wanted more creative control of her own movies. And And money. We'll get to her uh, her greed, her lack of the sacrifice for art so that she could make the movie of Woman Cleans Window.
1: It <laughs> was a good one. Woman Cleans Window too is it's really good, but I, I, I it's necessary to watch the first one first. You can't but skip it. It's not too. it's T-O-O because yeah. first a
0: man cleans the window and then a woman cleans it too and she does it so much better.
1: Men clean windows like this, but women clean windows like this. I love stand-up comedy from 1920. <laughs> so the problem was around this time the artists
0: who had little control as it was were beginning to lose what control they they did have. So this was when the studio system that gripped Hollywood for decades was just starting to form. But one straw in particular that broke Mary Pickford's back was the process of vertical integration, which is what I'm here to talk to all of you about today. Vertical <laughs> integration. And I will be asking for money after for all of you to invest in my vertical integration scheme. <laughs> this was the process of the movie studios buying up companies so that they were gaining control of not only just how the movies were made by owning a movie studio with sound stages, but now also the distribution and the exhibition in the form of buying theaters and making their own chains of theaters so that they were making as much money as possible at every single step of the process. Mono
1: something. Something only Mon- Yeah. Mononucleosis. That's right. That was not, what you that, got. They tell you not to do that legally. It's illegal. Legal
0: That's why I didn't kiss anybody
1: in <laughs> high school. That's what it was. The Supreme Court told me not
0: to. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. I know you all want to smooch you. I was that hot guy you were talking about. That were out, and
1: we're like, I hope he hooks up with that yeah, girl. As
0: your hand was stuck in the locker. Because I put it up. there. <laughs> so now they come controlled every part of a movie from the creation of the idea by one of their staff writers who was just a just a typewriter to them to the movie going experience of the public in one of their movie theaters part of this consolidation of power process was something known as here's my other buzz term block booking
1: whoa can all of you spell
0: that (laughs) which was when the movie studios would force the theater owners of the theaters they didn't own to buy movies to show from their studio in bulk meaning that if you wanted the new Mary Pickford movie, you also had to buy a dozen crappy movies that the studio would churn out as cash grabs. Right. So this not only ensured that the movies they were making, which, like you said, an absurd amount of movies, were going to be seen and make money, but also it made sure these theaters were playing movies from their studio and nobody else's because they had so many movies, there was barely enough time in the day to show all of these movies. Like you've got, if you want to show this one Mary Pickford movie at six o'clock, for the other 23 hours of the day, you've got to be showing our crap movie.
1: Yeah 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 and I know that most of it is just homeless people sleeping in in this theater but you got to show you up gotta. for baby's and, and- bottom <laughs> It falls out of the the onesie. The
0: hit movie inspired by the suntan lotion (laughs) bottle. Movies that barely anybody were going to see, and even fewer people were going to like these movies. So this infuriated people like Mary Pickford because she felt it was diluting her work by giving the public one part Mary Pickford, 12 parts whatever no-name actor who died 90 years ago nobody remembers or even knew back then. For the sake of art, it offended her by encouraging and facilitating mediocre filmmaking in movies that were basically just movie theater schedule padding, but it also offended her wallet.
1: Which is the most offensive. I got a family to take care of. Yeah, I've got
0: a series of alcoholic husbands I've got to look after. The studios were making money off of her name, and she was not getting what she felt was her fair share, even Which though was she's fair. making... More money. That's the amount of money. If, if we want to do the calculations, even at her beginning salary, I'm making the equivalent in 2022. I'm making
1: the same amount of money an eight year old actress at 1908 was making.
0: Not adjusted for Not
2: inflation. Not adjusted for <laughs> inflation. Straight
0: up. Movie theaters wouldn't be paying all that money for a man in a hat buys a turkey or whatever other trash Ooh, they, they, they put a to... turkey one on, though. Oh, is that part of Friends? <laughs> Did he put the turkey on his head? When they're when they're all dancing in the, the in, fountain, in the, fountain the, the title card just shows like musical notes. <laughs> So whatever other trash they were churning out, movie theaters wouldn't be paying that if it weren't required by the studio so that they could also show a Mary Pickford movie. But Mary Pickford wasn't the only one offended by this. Much poorer people were as well. (laughs) What's that matter? (laughs) Long forgotten by history, the poor people were also offended by this. Namely, the independent movie theater owners. The first reaction to the practice of block booking was the formation of the first national cooperative, which started in 1917 as 26 small theater owners who banded together to sell stand up to movie studios by saying we will only pay for the movies we want to show. Right. And by 1918, there were over 600 theaters that were a part of this group. And Jeez. of course, as is kind of the theme of this story, it wasn't long before they decided to become the beast that they were fighting against. Yeah. These these theaters.
1: I've got an idea. Let's all group together and make one big company. to stamp out that one big company. That's gonna... And then the theaters who are smaller than us, <laughs> they'll have to buy all of
0: our crappy movies. They decided to start making movies of their own to show at their theaters and became an independent movie studio themselves, but they weren't going to be like the other guys. They swear. Yeah. Mary was, of course, behind their crusade, So she signed with them to make $1.3 million a year and more importantly, complete control of her movies. Yeah. It wasn't long before her good friend and high school connoisseur, Charlie Chaplin, <laughs> and a guy who I, like I said, now I understand how they're connected. I didn't get it before, but D.W. Griffith. That's
1: right. Old pal. We came up together. Yeah.
0: The, he just,
1: To me, he just came out of nowhere and was like, <laughs> You, me, we're going. And then it comes out of a bush. Do you guys like "Birth of a Nation"? What about intolerance? You can't. Have,
0: you just see like a, a pointy clan no. hat sticking out of a bush. D.W., <laughs> have you been eavesdropping <laughs> on me and Douglas Fairbanks having an affair?
1: I didn't, I couldn't tell if that was you or just a burning cross.
0: That's how you know I'm coming. (laughs) The most famous director of the time who solidified the form of what movies are today and also made Birth of a Nation that reinvigorated the KKK and empowered another century or more of racist white supremacists, D.W. Griffith. That's him. So Mary Pickford, Charlie Chaplin, and D.W. Griffith all work for First National now. They weren't a traditional studio with a backlot. They just distributed movies made by other people. Okay, That's why Charlie Chaplin opened his studio on La Brea in 1918 because he hated the studios he was working for who wouldn't give him everything he wanted so he made his own to make movies the way he wanted to and first national would distribute them for him. That's okay. how that's how that that's what that was. Okay. That's what that was. That explains why Kermit the Frog's on top. That that's it, it. it was a metaphor. Things seemed to go well for a couple of years, but then in January nineteen nineteen, the executives of First National all gathered at the Alexandria Hotel downtown for a very important meeting.
1: That's where Max Sennet blew his wad so he could get a bathtub. Yeah, that's where big old Max Senate <laughs> and his Keystone
0: cops <laughs> were I have my own security
1: you got to defund the Keystone Cops.
0: At this meeting, Charlie Chaplin asked the executives for a larger budget for one of his movies. They refused it, which to him went directly against their promise of supporting their artists. And that was it with him and First National. I thought
1: you were the tramp. you need more money? That's not in character.
0: Yeah, the tramp who's known for being rich.
1: <laughs> It's in the You're name. You're pretty good without money. <laughs>
0: These are my real shoes. <laughs> but aside from Charlie Chaplin not getting his way, there was something even bigger afoot at this meeting. So big that Chaplin Griffith Pickford and her new pal, Douglas Fairbanks, Just they hired Pinkertons to infiltrate <laughs> this meeting to confirm the rumor that First National was planning to merge with Paramount. Wow. And the Pinkertons confirmed it they were. What that meant was that the supposed studio that was fighting for the little guy was becoming one of the big guys and that also meant one less studio in an industry that was becoming more and more of a monopoly. Like everything, like kind of like how things are now. Like Disney owns everything. Mm -hmm. They were all just turning into one giant studio. Mary Pickford was able to get the control and salary she wanted by pitting studios against each other to offer her more for her star power and by making it so that there was no competition to pit against each other to spark like a bidding war for Mm -hmm. Mary Pickford, this was just another chance for the studios to take advantage of her. Right. So that was it for her also. She's done with First National. So to discuss the situation, Charlie Chaplin, D.W. Griffith, Mary Pickford, I don't think Douglas Fairbanks was there, and apparently her mom. They all met at Charlie Chaplin's brother's house. Uh, Now, the idea is always attributed to Mary Pickford, but it seems it also came with the help of Ben Schulberg, who was the sales chief for Famous Players Lasky and also the dad of the guy who wrote What Makes Sammy Run. Oh, okay. So it was sort of like both of their ideas, Mary Pickford and this guy. Okay, But the idea was for a new studio owned by the artists themselves. Not lawyers, not businessmen, actors. A place where movie stars weren't just employees of someone who wore a a suit and tie, which actors did too. But like it was a more formal suit and tie.
1: So did barbers and sign painters, but it's not a big deal. So,
0: I mean, the guy selling corn on the side of the street was wearing a suit and tie. So I guess it doesn't mean much, but his (laughs) suit and tie, oh, it was made of wood. This would mean more artistic control and better profits for the artists themselves. It would give them the freedom to make the movies they wanted the way they wanted to make them. The risk of this was that everyone involved would have to put their own money on the line to make these movies, which was no small thing because other actors had tried before to do this sort of thing, and it ruined all of them, and nobody remembers any of
1: their names. It was a reverse cheers. (laughs) What made this different, though, cheers. It's like 1919, and they're all, we have to fight for the entire of the movies and it, it's just like
0: man fixes his car what happened to the days when a train coming at you could <laughs> scare everybody horror movies have not been as scary as that no sferatu no sferatu
1: yes sferatu
0: what made this different though was that this had never been tried by names this big before right mary pickford douglas fairbanks charlie chaplin and d.w griffith Four of the biggest names in Hollywood yeah. at the time. And four of the biggest names still of all time. Mm-hmm. The big four, as they were called, it was originally five because William S. Hart was part of the planning in the early stages, but he yeah. dropped out because famous players offered him $200,000 a movie and that was A-OK to him. <laughs> I don't, he, nothing to rage against here. I think he has a
1: museum in Newhall that I... Yeah, well, I think he... Owned like all, I think that's everything
0: fair. north of James Cagney's ranch was just William S. Hart's. It was William S. Hart and Harry Carey, and they, boy, the the sitcom that could have oh, been.
1: Oh, that's this. That's one of the many iterations of the Odd Couple.
0: <laughs> Your ranch is five hundred acres away from mine. What <laughs> antics will they get into? Um, they also had their trusty lawyer William Gibbs McAdoo. Ooh, what's his name? He was the former secretary to the Treasury of the United States and Woodrow Wilson's son-in-law. <laughs> So this is like the four crazy big celebrity names and then Woodrow Wilson's son-in-law are all coming together. So on February 5th, 1919, the United Artists Corporation was officially formed, becoming the first major production company controlled by artists. Right. Their mission was to protect the exhibitor and the industry from itself. And they declared, we think that this step is positively and absolutely necessary to protect the great motion picture public from threatening combinations and trusts that would force upon them mediocre productions and machine-made and Entertainment. So they were trying... They really were like... It was all about the money, but they were... But they, they were they,
1: hard emphasis on artists, of United Artists. They
0: wanted movies to be good.
1: Yeah. They saw a vision of like what they could do with this. And make a lot of money. And also make a lot of money doing it.
0: Their critics called it a rebellion against established producing and distributing arrangements. And Richard Rowland, head of Metro Pictures, famously said, the inmates are taking over the asylum. That was the narrative
1: going on. Right. The America America's sweethearts are running the asylum. Yeah.
0: America's sweethearts and derelicts are running the <laughs> asylum. Uh, it was a very forward Thinking movement towards empowering artists and sharing profits, not just among the people on the top floor, but with everybody involved. So here's how it was gonna work. First off, they banned block booking. Each of the big four would own 25% of the company, and to fill a full release schedule to keep everything afloat, each of the four had to release five movies a year. Now here's how it actually worked. <laughs> not like that. For one person to put out five movies a year, even back then, was absurd. Right. On top of that, most of them in these first few years were still under contracts with other studios that they had to follow through with before they were free. So even if somehow they could put out five movies in one year, most or all of them would have to go to another studio, at least at the beginning. Charlie Chaplin alone owed First National five movies, and he made movies notoriously slow. Plus, he, as well as everyone else in Hollywood, were moving away from shorts, which were going out of fashion, to 90-minute movies, which were obviously harder and took a lot longer to make than a 50-minute movie. If I
1: may say shorts never go out of fashion, they're always sort of comfortable to wear. Uh, oh, film
0: for films. If you're a child, yeah. But if you want to look professional, you've got to you have got to have a 10-reeler.
1: <laughs> I've seen people on golf courses wear shorts and look great.
0: I've seen a former president wear shorts on a golf course and he looked pretty fine. Sure
1: they were backwards. <laughs> He's so fine.
0: <laughs> and Douglas Fairbanks was mostly interested in doing big budget costume and effects spectaculars, which took forever. So the five movies a year per person plan was abandoned very quickly. Oh, yeah. Then they tried to bump it down to four each and they couldn't even do that. So they bumped it down to one a year and they couldn't even do oh that. My God. The first movie made during the United Artists time from this group was Broken Blossoms uh-huh. by D.W. Griffith in 1919 but it, that one was the property of famous players so that didn't really count. So the first United <laughs> Artists original movie came out October 24th 1919 His Majesty the American starring Douglas Fairbanks with a small role played by Boris Karloff oh. um, as Frankenstein. <laughs> His Majesty the Frankenstein His Majesty the Frankenstein monster. Then came Mary's Pollyanna and Chaplin's The Woman of Paris, which did not star Charlie Chaplin and didn't come out until 1923. So that's four years after they started. Okay. So throughout the 20s, Doug and Mary were doing about one movie a year for United Artists, but Chaplin and Griffith were doing much less than that. To fill these gaps that, surprise, temperamental artists were leaving in the release schedule, they had to bring in other people to fill the gaps. And to do that, they needed some of those dreaded, non-artistic types they were trying to get away from. Right. This wasn't an easy pitch to people because most producers had contracts already with other studios, much like the actors did at the beginning, or were too afraid of the financial risk involved in being a part of United Artists. But they were saved in 1924 by a producer named Joseph N. Shank. Oh, you talked about him.
1: Yes, yeah, the brother of Nick. Skank as Shank. Karina Longworth. Yeah that's, right. yeah, that's the brother. That's the one who met um, the famous actress on the boat and was like, I want to start a film studio.
0: That's Joseph. I Look, you think I listened to these episodes? I don't know who you're talking about. Uh, is Karina Longworth a host on this podcast? <laughs> I didn't think so. I didn't so. think so. <laughs> so Joseph M. Shank from yeah. 20th Century who agreed to join them and help guide them, but just importantly, he brought with him his wife, sister, and brother-in-law who were named Norma Talmadge, yep. Constance Talmadge, yep. and Buster Keaton. That's right. So suddenly they got even more star power that could fill the gaps and got a big hit in The General from Buster Keaton.
1: Is that a United Artists movie? Yeah, I mean distributed by yes, that's a United Artists movie.
0: He also managed to bring in Rudolph Valentino, (laughs) who did the, not the song of the Sheik, the son of the Sheik. Rudolph (laughs) Valentino did the sequel to his most famous movie for United Artists. Add to that the Mark of Zorro, Robin Hood, and the Thief of Baghdad that Fairbanks did for United Artists, and then the Gold Rush that Charlie Chaplin did, and all of a sudden you United Artists had under its belt what turned out to be some of the biggest movies of all time. Yeah. I, I didn't quite want to say this, but like, I don't know if I've ever seen a Mary Pickford movie. No. I maybe seen one, but like most of these names, they're like, and then she made Pollyanna. Yeah. <laughs> I, what?
1: I've seen Pollyanna with Haley Mills. <laughs> but like, I've seen Cinderella animated.
0: But the movies, The Mark of Zorro, Thief of Baghdad, yeah. Robin Hood, and The Gold Rush, that, yeah. that's huge.
1: Yeah, you hate women. I get it. Uh, okay, you read the
0: subtext. <laughs> um, but to help financially, uh, Shank got their movies released internationally
2: oh. so that they
0: could make money overseas. But he knew that if they really wanted to compete with the big boys, they would have have to do what the big boys were doing mm-hmm. that made them want to leave the big boys in the first place, right? They had to own their own theaters. So, in June 1926, they formed the United Artists Theater Circuit and started building theaters around the country, which is where the United Artists Theater downtown, On which Broadway. we talked about so long ago, yes. I came from this opening December 26, 1927, with Mary Pickford's My Best Girl again no idea what that movie is. So Shank managed to stabilize the company, but they were still riddled with financial problems from the get-go for almost their entire existence. For their first five years, they only made about eight movies a year, which was way too low for the time. Right. For the first 20 years of their existence, they only released 300 movies as opposed to the other studios releasing about a thousand <laughs> movies in that same time frame. Imagine having that many. It's like Netflix, but it, you have to go to the theater. And just like Netflix, most of them are bad. Yeah. Um, and I try all of them. Out of the 10 years of the 1920s, they were losing money for six of them. They sometimes had to get money from the theaters in advance to keep their funding going. And aside from financial woes, there were just woes (laughs) that they had to deal with. They did not get along at all with each other. Fairbanks was always goofing off and he was like grabbing people's legs under the tables (laughs) at meetings. D.W. Griffith thought Douglas Fairbanks was an idiot with no talent Mm -hmm. and he pretty much felt the same about Mary Pickford unless she was in one of his movies. Right. And Charlie Chaplin was obsessed with money. Like that. Oh, yeah. Well, he was obsessed with a few things, but he could not stop thinking about a few things. But also, mainly money.
1: Also, I remember I don't know if you'll touch on this, but he was making his best movies for other studios, other than the Gold Rush, and like Mary Pickford for a while not was not by
0: choice. Though, like that, he was oh, still his contract. Still in contract yeah. yeah,
1: but like the other United Artists were watching him releasing great Charlie Chaplin movies, and they're like, oh, that's weird that you're doing all these great movies, and we're struggling every day. And it's not a big deal. But like she did Pollyanna just to like she didn't want to do Pollyanna, but she did it just to be like we need money to come in.
0: You mean? her greatest movie of all time. Yeah, (laughs) Pollyanna. Haley Mills is not that right? Charlie Chaplin was against Shanks' plan to open their own theater chain, so he refused to help fund it, which was the beginning of the ideal of them all funding everything together falling apart. Like, if you're not, if you came into this that we're all funding the same things and you're saying you're not going to help fund this, like, what are we even doing here? Griffith actually left the company in 1924. He was not around that long. Board meetings were contentious. Mary was adamant that even the lowest crew members on the totem pole were taken well care of, but in reality this was functioning just like any other studio and the people on top were making most of the money. They were split between the balance of art and commerce, which still was light years ahead of the other studios where that wasn't even a debate. Like art's been dead for 20 years. (laughs) We don't paint here. Uh, So with Griffith gone and things kind of squeaking along with half the tires coming off the track, they needed even more help than just Shank could offer. So the next big name producer they brought in was Samuel Goldwyn and following him were David O. Selznick, Alexander Corbett, Walter Wanger and Mr. Fingernail himself. Howard Hughes. Hey, hey,
1: hey, hey. Put him in a plane. Let's see what happens.
0: Some of these guys were totally independent producers with their own studios who just used United Artists to distribute and promote their movies they made, but others were parts of other major studios, but could step away from them okay. to release through United Artists with what they deemed prestige pictures right. that their regular studios wouldn't make. And I, I didn't know that this is what a prestige picture actually is. There's a definition. It's movies that are made knowing that they probably won't make a lot of money, but they'll be so critically acclaimed that it's going to give the studio that releases them more of a pedigree and make them more respectable for when they then release A Man in a Hat Buys a Turkey, number two. Right. It's basically just like burning money but so that you can make more money later on
1: other things. Artist, this summer presents A Touching Tale of a Man in a Hat. And his Toykey. Toykey, number two. Sorry, <laughs> Jerry Lewis. Yeah. And the whole Toykey family is here, and
0: they're all played by D.W. Griffith. <laughs> so, around this era, United Artists was putting out movies like Scarface, right. Hell's Angels, Hell yeah. The Scarlet Pimpernel, uh, who's my scar. I had posters of him up a lot. You know, I
1: caught Scarlet Pimpernel in 1918.
0: They made The Private Life of Henry VIII, The mm-hmm. Prisoner of Zenda, Little Lord Fauntleroy, which <laughs> is what people called me in high school, A Star is Born. Rebecca, spellbound stagecoach, foreign correspondent, and from Chaplin himself, City Lights, The Great Dictator, and Modern Times. Wow. These were all United Artists. That's a great catalog. Prestige. prestige, (laughs) And now, The Prestige. (laughs) It's a bunch of Christian Bale in a jar. I I don't get it. How many times did he kill Scarlett Johansson? From 1932 to 37, they even released all of Walt Disney's Silly Symphonies. Oh, really? They had the rights to those. Whoa! They almost got Selznick to release Gone with the Wind through them, but he decided to go with MGM because he wanted Clark Gable to be involved in the movie. Chaplin and Pickford eventually sued him for doing so many movies for other studios, but he sued them back for being bad distributors, and he left the company so that didn't didn't go well. <laughs> no, you can still be friends after that. I you still want to go uh, you wanna go chili dogs or what? The thing I do all the time. <laughs> so while they were only releasing like fifteen to twenty movies a year at this point, they were mostly all hit prestige pictures. Right. That's why United Artists started being known as the Tiffany of the movie industry, oh. not the singer. Oh. The Brittany of the movie industry. <laughs> and they were doing all this without having a filming lot or having people under contract. Okay, Chaplin had his studio, but that wasn't really theirs. Mary Pickford and Douglas Fair and God help them if they stepped foot on his, that frog will come to life. Come <laughs> there could be you. gold
1: bars on a lawn I wouldn't go there. How old are you? Uh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Mary Pickford and
1: Douglas Fairbanks owned
0: an 18-acre lot at the corner of Formosa and Santa Monica oh, now wow. across the street from the Formosa Cafe really? uh, that they called Pickford Fairbanks Studio, but they eventually renamed it United Artists Studio, but it still wasn't officially the studio of the right. United Artists that just called it that. It was operated separately, but Goldwyn and Shank did have offices there, which was a whole ordeal because Pickford <laughs> owned the land, but Goldwyn owned the buildings and Mary and Sam fought about literally everything. They couldn't even agree on what color to paint the buildings, so they just left them unpainted oh. <laughs> for years.
1: I'll show you. <laughs> and I'm going to draw this line down half the property. I'm uh, so not good at conflict. I could be listening to a conflict that happened over a hundred years ago and be like, God, get away from me. <laughs> Can I go sit in the Formosa
0: until this is <laughs> over? Can I go wait for the Formosa to be built? <laughs> the train's will be here any minute.
1: <laughs> the train's going to be right at me.
0: Now this is a movie. <laughs> a prestige picture coming, this, coming fall this summer from United Artists. A train.
1: A train right at you. What do you mean? <laughs> oh my God. Um,
0: Shank got sick of this all, so and he left the company in 1935. At which point, Mary herself became the executive in control of United Artists.
1: Why the United and United Artists under quotes? The divided artists. The divided artists. But she did not handle it all that well.
0: She had quit acting by this point, yeah. so this was her full-time job. But she lost the distribution rights to the Silly Symphonies, which is like uh, That's at, such
1: a cute sentence. Yeah, the, the board meeting of like of Samuel Goldwyn like berating her. You lost the
0: Silly Symphonies? This, but, you lost the adorable cuties? What are we going to do without this Spooky Time Playhouse?
1: <laughs> uh, Walt's there. Mickey's in a crib and he's rocking him. And Oswald's there and he has like a suit and he has his hands crossed on the table. So you're saying that...
0: Uh, he's whispering to Goofy. My client would like to say, Oh, whoo. <laughs>
1: My client would like to slip on a banana peel by now. Do you have a steamboat? He's getting a little antsy.
0: He'd like to do something with his hands and hips. So as silly as this was, losing the Silly Symphonies was a huge blow yeah. to their finances. Samuel Goldwyn hated working with Mary Pickford and the other two saying they weren't pulling their weight and were, quote, parasites drinking my blood. Save it for the wedding speech. Save it for the, when we release Nosferatu. <laughs> well, that's a rave review for Nosferatu. <laughs> um, he left United Artists, Samuel Gold in 1940 and but he was still on the lot and he renamed the lot Samuel Goldwyn Studios even though Mary still owned half of it which did not make her happy. They eventually went to court over it and it went up for auction in 1955 where Goldwyn outbid Mary for full control and they went on to on this lot to film West Side Story and Whoa. also reshoots of the cantina scene for Star Wars were Whoa. done across the street from the Formosa. Um, I didn't know that. I can just imagine John Wayne
1: it. what? what? Pa- partner? What the hell is that tune I'm hearing? I Indeed? love do <laughs> do Dude. Now, the now, I, I like to par where it's a long time ago, but a galaxy <laughs> far, far away, I don't know what's happening here. And what happened to my voice? You keep that music down, partner,
0: <laughs> or you'll be dead. <laughs> you, use that. Use that. Use that line. Yeah. So it's still there now as the lot. It's right across the Formosa. Back to the late 30s. The wheels are coming off yet again for United Artists. Not helping matters was when Douglas Fairbanks went and died in 1939. So now it was just Mary Pickford, who was fighting with everyone, and Scrooge McDuck Chaplin trying to keep this crazy artist-run movie studio afloat, which by this point was really just any other movie studio. They were just studio heads. And also, well, she wasn't, but he was still like a movie star and a director. In most ways, they had become the beasts that they were fighting against to begin with, so much so that in 1948, when the Supreme Court issued the Paramount Decrees to break up the Hollywood monopolies, the eight studios that were called out by name were Paramount, 20th Century Fox, Lowe's, RKO, Warner Brothers, Columbia, Universal and United Artists. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. even recognized by the high court of America, they were the bad guys.
1: I know oh, we're doing everything <laughs> wrong and everything we've hated and sworn against, but uh, come on. It's not me. We're the good guys.
0: <laughs> on top of that, post-World War the one where movie crews were turned into bullets, the movie <laughs> industry as a whole was kind of slowed down because while the public had a lot more money to spend on entertainment, there were not as many crew members or materials left standing to make these movies as there were five years earlier. Right. When What this led to were more and more independent producers because they weren't tied down to any of these flailing studios. And also, more banks were willing to loan money to make so called independent movies because the forum was kind of tried and true at this point. United Artists was able to use all these new independent producers, but it also diluted their prestige brand for the sake of keeping the lights on. By the early 50s, United Artists was not in good shape. In 1951, Mary had lost her management power, and in 1955, Chaplin cashed out for good, and then in 1956, Mary did the same thing. So, stepping away from Mary Pickford for a little bit, now the big four are all gone, and United Artists was now being run by Paul V. McNutt who was the former governor of Indiana before he left after a year and turned it over to being run by two lawyers, Selene and Barnes, <laughs> named Arthur Krim and Robert Benjamin. And as awful as that sounds for a movie studio to be run by two lawyers, they turned United Artists into the powerhouse that it's now remembered as. Really? Like the good years of United Artists were pretty much under them. To start, they bought the rights to all the pre-1948 Warner Brothers movies and formed the United Artists Classics division, which brought in a ton of money Showing these movies on TV or in small theaters as revival showings, and also it seems to be the first time a studio made like a subdivision of themselves that specialized in a certain niche, like like Sony Class, like right. Like, I, I guess they know. use classic, like Fox Searchlight. The, yeah, I think Searchlight things? is their thing. Yeah. They brought even more money in 1957 when they listed the company on the New York Stock Exchange. But other than just cash grabs, they ushered in a new era of creativity by giving the producers that worked for them an unprecedented amount of autonomy over their movies. It was so appealing, it sucked in big-name people who wanted to make deals with them, like John Wayne. <laughs> I'll make a better movie than those war stars. Who, Leslie? What's his first name again? Uh, it's I, it's uh, like Shirley
1: or something. Yeah. <laughs> Leslie, you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Leslie.
0: I am serious, and I'm going sh- <laughs> to shoot, shoot, shoot you so that neck. nobody knows. Speaking of neck, Gregory Peck. Well, Gregory neck. Fra- Frank Sinatra, bo- who probably had people strangled <laughs> by the neck. Bob Hope, uh, who had a big thing on top of of his neck, <laughs> his nose. Kirk Douglas, Otto Preminger, Stanley Kramer and William Wyler all made wow. deals with United Artists. By Pretty 1966 cool. they were the biggest movie distributor in the world. And during the 50s to the 70s some of the movies they put out were High Noon. Great. The African Queen. Right. Some Like It Hot. Great. The Apartment. Great. The Magnificent 7. I, don't, I haven't seen it. I've seen The Seven Samurai. Uh, and I've seen The
1: Bugs Life. Does uh, that
0: count? Have you seen um, The Ridiculous Six? <laughs> it's kind of like that. I think it might be based on that. I've
1: seen The Under 10 8.
0: West Side Story, which you, I insist that you see and you refuse to see it. They filmed it on the lot where they reshot the cantina scene, Greg. <laughs>
1: Greg, <laughs> if, you, if you listen closely, you can hear them play. <laughs>
0: da, 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 da. My sharks don't like you. I'm wanted in 12 slums. <laughs> the Defiant Ones, Judgment at Nuremberg, The Vikings, Birdman of Alcatraz, oh, in the heat of the night Marty which I also say I always tell you to watch 12 Angry Men Great Midnight Cowboy the sexiest movie I've ever seen Annie Hall One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest Rocky A Hard Day's Night and launched both the James Bond and Pink Panther franchises was United Artists during this period that's crazy
1: Uh, Uh, a a quick sidebar yeah Uh,
0: Who's the Pink Panther? It's that, there's no panther in the movie. But another thing <laughs> another thing that I went into, just like the Day of the Locust and so many other things. like uh, The Hour I, of the Wolf was
1: the other one. The Hour that of the made Wolf. me so mad.
0: I went in. I can't wait to see the, the Pink Panther I know from cartoons in this movie. And then I watch it. I'm like, he's right here from the beginning. He's doing the titles. And then no more Pink Panther. It was just a gem or something.
1: <laughs> I think they really should have called it the Pink Gem if they want to keep kids <laughs> mad. Uh, I rewatched 12 Angry Men because I was uh-huh. holding that it's one of my favorite movies one of the best movies very good it's very good I watched it with like this movie has so much efforting integrity it's so good it's so smart and they get to the end and it's like well the woman on the stand she had the marks of glasses but she wasn't wearing her glasses because all women are vain (laughs) and uh, maybe the Italian kid didn't do it and all the men are like yeah yeah, And I'm like, oh, oh no, I packed You're this right. movie up. We hate
0: women more than we hate Italians. <laughs>
1: and, we and, are, and now we are
0: it. 12 happy men, uh, except for Ed Begley. Uh, but in 1967, the company was sold to the Transamerica Life Insurance Company. And by the late 70s, I don't, uh, uh, such a romantic was, story of Hollywood. <laughs> Some of the
1: best movies ever made. They sold it to a dentist and he ended up turning it into a company that makes a weird thing for a car. And
0: from a hard day's night, they went straight into the life insurance game. <laughs> and by the late 70s, the friction between Transamerica America Life Insurance Company and Arthur Crim led to Arthur Crim taking four executives with him and leaving to form his own production company, Orion Pictures. So that was, uh, don't you remember Orion? Oh, it's oh, oh, oh Orion. Orion. No, Pictures. I don't. If you watch a, a lot of 80s movies, which I hope you do, the, pro- their, their oh, logo the is It is Orion. Sorry. Right. Give me one
1: second. This is what I heard you.
0: He's drawing on the board. He's Oh, right. What you said was, I was not speaking of someone from Scotland.
1: You were talking about like Orion's oh, Belt. Where the I'm...
0: galaxy is in Men in Black. Robocop. Uh, this set the stage for the most notorious moment in United Artists history. They made Robocop. Okay, so the most notorious moment in United Artists history Heaven's Gate. Not, no! that, one. <laughs> not that one.
1: Not the one from um, like I did like, oh, where, so Deer Hunter.
0: The, yes, the one from Deer Hunter, not the cult. Oh, <laughs> not oh. the cult where everybody dies. But then, one, yes, yeah. that one. I remember learning about this repeatedly yeah. in... Uh, film school. Oh, I went to a certain school in the
1: Valley. what you do with your we degree from film school?
0: I did a hundred episodes. of. <laughs> all a hundred episodes have been leading me to this. The history of a company that I still don't quite understand. <laughs> but that was the whole thing of I, that I remember from United Ours was Heaven's Gate, Heaven's yeah, Gate, yeah, Heaven's yeah. Gate. And I was like, hey, where do I sign up?
1: They give you special shoes and you get I believe something? in this comment.
0: So it was a movie about Wyoming in the yes. late 1800s that was just as big of a disaster as the cult was.
1: The Deer Hunter was so good that they were like, you can do anything anything with any amount of money. So it's like, okay, Michael
0: Cimino, deer hunter, a.k.a. the deer hunter. (laughs) Before that,
1: he was a TV commercial
0: director, so he had a habit of doing multiple takes of things, which is fine for a 30 second commercial with quick cuts. But for an almost four hour movie, you can't do that. Right. Like you don't have the time and money. He was obsessed with details and he took forever. He made the actors learn how to roller skate, (laughs) which I think everyone should know. (laughs) In the first six days of filming, they spent (laughs) $900,000 on what ended up being a minute and a half of usable footage. After two weeks, they were basically spending a million dollars per minute of usable film for this movie. Oh my god. There were echoes from the very beginning of United Artists history at this time that the lunatics had taken (laughs) over the asylum. So it it was almost a bookend of how United Artists... It was a
1: Greek tragedy-like premonition. Yeah,
0: it was it was Chekhov's lunatics (laughs) taking over the asylum.
1: The person who said that was a witch on a mountain with no No. eyes. Should I have taken that warning? She
0: had one eye but she shared it with her sisters. (laughs) It got a ton of bad press and by the time it was done, it was supposed to have cost $7.5 million, had been budgeted at $11.5 million and ended up costing $44 million. Oh my God. They shot over a million feet of film and it made only... 12 million dollars at the box office. So, the popular narrative is that this was the movie that ended United Artists, but that's not true because Transamerica owned them and they weren't going to be felled. The Transamerica, I think you know that pointy building in San Francisco? Yeah. That's Transamerica. Oh, wow. Okay. So they're not going to be brought down by Heaven's Gate. No. Maybe the cult. What it did change was the obsessive urgency that Hollywood now has with opening weekend box yeah, office yeah, yeah, yeah. profits. It's because Heaven's Gate was so financially damaging that like now every movie everything. has to make. Yeah, they, they're Shh. obsessed with it. But it did embarrass Transamerica enough to sell United Artists. Okay. So now United Artists was bought by a guy named Kirk Kirkorian. It went to him in 1981, then emerged with MGM in 1983. That's how I know him, because he bought MGM. He's the M in MGM. <laughs> uh, from here, it's just a story of changing hands and being folded in and out of other studios and a few scattered hits. They did Rain Man in 1992. They were bought by Credit Lyonnais and became a small art house producer that did Bowling for Columbine, Hotel uh. Rwanda, and Capote. In 2006, Tom Cruise took it over with the idea of bringing it back to its roots with the Big Four, but all he did was release Lions for Lambs and Valkyrie before it got re- reabsorbed by MGM.
1: Uh, I wanted Valkyrie to be good. I didn't
0: see it, but I I agree that I wanted it to be good and I heard it wasn't and I believed it
2: yes
0: (laughs) its current form started in 2018 united artists as a joint not valkyrie we're not we're not we're not trying valkyrie yeah it didn't work the first time (laughs) Uh, it started in 2018 as a joint venture between mgm and annapurna known as united artists digital studios all this to show that no matter what the intentions of an artist is the studio system always seems to win in the end over art case in point they also made Hot Tub Time Machine.
1: <laughs> oh, I didn't know we we're gonna sit here and hate on Hot Tub Time Machine. That's how we lead into every break
0: of every episode is uh, a quick slam on Hot Tub Time Machine. So we're gonna take a little. We're have a little over halfway through yeah. now. So we're gonna take a little break and uh, we'll come back uh, with our favorite slams on Hot Tub Time Machine right after this. I love Clark Duke. Oh,
1: Greg, what are those on your feet? Uh, I don't like to brag, but bunions. <laughs>
0: They're beautiful. (laughs) But if you want to cover those up, I've got a new product for you. Because our new sponsor, we have got Q... For Quinn, you can buy all of your sock needs here. The focus is on comfort, flat toe seam, mm-hmm. and a use of natural materials, organic cotton and merino wool, oh. to maximize breathability and comfort.
1: Listen to me; my feet deserve to be spoiled. They go through so much. I mean, they
0: certainly look like they're spoiled. So
1: that sounds great. I'm it's seriously in the winter time. I'm such a sock person. I feel like double up yeah. on socks. I'm sock very it happy. to you. You're always <laughs> saying,
0: but you're not the only one. These are proudly worn by thousands of customers, also with skin conditions such. Such as eczema and Raynaud disease. These are socks that are designed to not irritate those conditions if you have Oh, great. That's great. Which is, I don't have eczema. Do I? (laughs) <laughs> so I've got like a big rash yeah, on that.
1: All <laughs> this dry skin. Uh, Show me your feet
0: right now. Oh, God. What, what? Is Q for Quentin Tarantino? <laughs> their products are so clean. They're certified by GOTS, the gold standard for organic textiles. They're free from azo dyes that can cause cancer. They're free from BPA, parabens, and other chemicals typically found in our clothing. These are socks that are good for you, These Greg. These are the kind of
1: socks that astronauts wear. <laughs> and they've
0: got sizes for the entire family. If you look on their website, you can get like matching things, or, like the same socks for like you and your kids. Oh cool. So it's about time you spent some. It's about time you dressed your kids. Use promo code LAmeekly at checkout to get 15% off on your next Q for Quinn purchase and we highly recommend
1: you do because I know that all of you need socks. Yep. I've been near you during a barbecue where you wear sandals. You need socks. Yeah.
0: So if you want your feet looking and feeling good, you got to go to Q for Quinn, use promo code LAmeekly at checkout for 15% off. That's Q
1: for Quinn. Put them on your feet. Step on it. Step on
0: it. (laughs) Well, Greg, we're in the middle of our history lesson. I bet you're sick of this.
1: You'd think that I was, and I am. Oh.
0: Okay, well, then I guess this also applies to you because there's another history podcast in town that you might want to listen to called Hometown History Podcast. Whoa, tell me
1: more about them. Hometown
0: History shares personally curated histories from hometowns around the globe. Whoa. History from lesser known cities in the world than Los Angeles. So here's a here's an example of some of the things that they have going for them. There's a four-part episode on different things that happen on different islands in Michigan. Whoa, really? Like the King of Beaver Island and his inevitable assassination,
1: which... Uh, All the words I like in one sentence. I know. That is the headline that makes me click on stuff. The, the
0: title I have always <laughs> wanted. Another episode, they've got the one on the woman who inv- originally invented Monopoly. Oh, okay. Do you know I love that. We're talking about monopolies in this episode. A yeah. Little
1: bit. And the men monopolized. Well, like a womanopoly. <laughs> monopoly.
0: Those are just a few things you can hear on the Hometown History podcast, which you can listen to anywhere podcasts are found. So if you want a break from us blabbing and yapping and talking about Kieran Culkin, then go. <laughs> take a listen to the Hometown History Podcast anywhere podcasts are found. And we're back. Hot tub time machine. More
1: like uh, I got a... Uh, Cold cup uh, not time and that was our
0: slam on Hot Tub Time Machine.
1: So I'm sorry, Hot Tub Time Machine. I couldn't do anymore. It. He put a hot
0: tub to my head and <laughs> made me do it. Okay, so we're back here. We're we're talking Mary Pickford for our 100th episode. So I'm going to talk about uh, their house that you alluded to. I talked right. about
1: her big ed- endeavor. Yeah. For now, I'm going to talk about where she had her pleasure. I- I'm stressed out because Charlie Chaplin literally yelled at me for two hours straight. Where can I go just relax?
0: Yeah. I'm Mary Pickford. And I'm Mary Pickford. Pickfair. More like pick fine. <sighs> In 1918, Douglas Fairbanks bought 18 acres of land in the then backwater farm paradise of Beverly Hills. Gross. That
1: kind of- that's where the hillbillies live.
0: This land he brought contained a ranch house designed by a guy named Horatio Cogswell. For, uh, I think he used to be a clock. But Is that
1: one of the characters in
0: Clue? Oh, oh, that's how I know
1: that name. He
0: killed Ned Doheny <laughs> with a candlestick. That's right. It was all over the news. So Horatio Cogswell, he designed this house for some lawyer to use as a weekend honeymoon Hunting Lodge for thirty
1: five.
2: Douglas Fairbanks...
0: What? Beverly Hills was like the middle of Montana back then. Did like, you know
1: that Deliverance was actually based on Beverly Hills, California? That was
0: based on Burt Reynolds' real trip <laughs> to Pickfair. He's just trying to get to the beach. Douglas Fairbanks bought this whole land for $35,000. When the two got married... Yeah, I know. I can't even say that with a straight face. When the two got married, Doug decided to give this property as a gift to his blushing, curly-haired wife, Mary. I'll just take the money. I'll take the money that I can make in two weeks
2: above <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, uh, Come back to me when you buy me the entire valley <laughs> of like Harry Carey but for his wife but Mary Carey Harry Mary. She was a comely woman, but but a simple lawyer's weekend slaughterhouse wasn't good enough for these two. It was time to rebuild. They tore down the old house and got Wallace Neff, the guy who had done Betty Grable's house. Oh. he did the Falcon Lair Oh, really? They asked him to make them a whole new house at what would become uh-huh. one one a whole new, new house. house at what would become <laughs> one one four three Summit Drive, and it would be named after the first celebrity couple name combination. Pick Pickfair. Another Fairbanks. first. Yeah. They were the first benefer. <laughs> the rebuild took until 1924, but what they ended up with became one of the most legendary homes in American history. Mm-hmm. And that's not an exact, like, it yeah. sounds crazy to say that is not an exaggeration. I mean, how many great parties were held at Monticello? <laughs> um, so this house, Pickfair, was four stories with 22 rooms cool. that eventually got expanded
1: to 42 rooms they in the early 30s,
0: Uh including eight rooms just for their staff, which wow. too, Throw the staff all in one room. That's what I always say.
1: Well, you never heard of a bunk bed? The walls
0: inside were wood paneled with frescoes on the ceilings and a roof made of copper. (laughs) It was decorated inside with 18th century furniture and art. They had a china set that had supposedly been a gift from Napoleon to Josephine in their home. Wow. Which I always considered Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks as the Napoleon and Josephine of America. There was an Old West saloon that was actually taken and trucked to the house from an actual Old West saloon in Auburn, California. Supposedly, there was an underground running track because Douglas Fairbanks would only go jogging nude. I heard that. Yeah, and if two people heard it, it had to be
1: (laughs) true. Do you tape down or do you let flop?
0: This isn't a problem. I. Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> Why Do things move?
1: I'm not understanding how there's more than one option.
0: So on the sprawling outside property, there was a tennis court, stables, and what is believed to have been the first swimming pool on private property in Los Angeles was at Pickfair. Wow. But what this house was really known for were the parties that happened here. Mary and Doug were the first movie stars to move to Beverly Hills, and they were 100% responsible for what it became, which was a celebrity haven that was just far enough out of town from hollywood to have their own space but close enough that they could wake up late and still get to work on time right without these two weezer wouldn't have had a second wind on their career (laughs) and these parties were a big part of creating that i'm not going to name the actors and showbiz people who went to these parties because literally everybody okay name somebody and they've been there me Except her. Uh, so I'll name the crazy names of non-movie stars who partied here. Okay. F. Scott Fitzgerald, although he's kind of kind movie star. H.G. Wells, huh? Albert Einstein, <laughs> with like a lampshade on his head. He won't leave. If I leave, I am only going closer to you. No one got what you meant. Lord and Lady Mountbatten had their honeymoon there. Amelia Earhart, FDR, those two had their honeymoon there. George Bernard Shaw, Noel Coward, Charles Lindbergh, Pearl S. Buck, Arthur Cosby. And Doyle, the weirdo who believes in fairies, <laughs> Thomas Edison came uh,
1: by. What the hell's <laughs> all this? <laughs> it's weird. It's, I had a patent on something just like this not too long ago. <laughs> you two are stars of what? <laughs> okay, this He just switches all light on and off. Weird, huh? How this works? I uh, know no, it's
0: alternating current. So here's where it gets even crazier the king and queen of Siam, <laughs> the duke and duchess of Windsor, <laughs> the prince of Japan, and the king of Spain. All these people came to Beverly One party. Hills to. Uh, one crazy night,
1: we're all gonna get along. We're all gonna lock you in our mansion. We're gonna watch all the extended editions of Lord of the Rings <laughs> until the DVD starts smoking. And for all
0: these parties, Rolls Royces would pick you up at the bottom of their hill and drive you up there. You're That's kidding. how you got to their houses. It was often called the White House of Hollywood uh-huh. and was considered to be the second most famous house in the United States behind the White House. Life, which ma- one's that?
1: No, I'm kidding. It's the one next to the Capitol. <laughs>
0: the one. You remember that place you stormed back in January?
1: <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. I was following a crowd if you watch the video and you hear someone shouting are we going to Wetzel's Pretzels, that's me. I was that guy.
0: Life Magazine even called it a gathering place only slightly less important than the White House and much more fun. Uh, I disagree. Uh, Have you taken a tour of the White House? (laughs) Have you seen the oil portrait of John Adams? I'll take that over drinking martinis with Noel Coward any day. In 1928, Will Rogers said, my most important duty as mayor of Beverly Hills is directing people to Mary Pickford's house. (laughs) Supposedly, Mary and Doug lived in opposite wings of the house when there marriage started getting rocky but she ended up living there alone as the recluse that she became until the day she died after that it was sold in 1980 to the owner of the lakers jerry Buss, really? for 5.4 million dollars who updated it and held a ton of fundraisers there just like the good old days then in 1988 it was sold to pia zadora <laughs> Of Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, right. presenting Pia Zadora, the role that you will always say this was the first Pia Zadora movie. <laughs> uh, it's so brash of movies to be like and presenting yeah. this actor who you're gonna know and love. We're for the gonna rest of your we're, life.
1: and that name is not Santa Claus.
0: And in his big screen debut,
1: <laughs> Chris
0: Santa Claus Kringle. Chris the Rock. Kringle. So uh, she bought it for $6.7 million, But by this point, the land was only 2.7 acres and many other houses were now around it. But it wasn't happily ever after for that little girl who helped Santa kill all those Martians. One night, she heard her daughter screaming and when she ran to check on her, the daughter said that she had seen a woman in a white gown standing in her room laughing. Sure enough, shortly after, Pia started seeing this woman in white as well. And as it turned out, they weren't the first residents of the house to see this woman. Even back when Mary was living there, she would hear banging in the attic, and her second husband would see a woman in white around the house. Then they would see a servant woman wandering around, as well as someone carrying sheet music. Mary said that one day, our cook, a practical, unemotional Swedish woman, ran out of the kitchen in terror, brandishing a knife. She declared she was being pursued by a strange dark woman who she had seen in the kitchen. It got to the point where, fed up, Mary one night said, I sat up in bed and addressed myself to the ghost. I wouldn't treat you this way way, I said. It isn't ladylike. I don't expect to be treated in this manner. And from then on, all the noises stopped until Pia Zadora came along. Oh. Pia Zadora was so scared that she hired an exorcist, but when that when that didn't work, she leveled most of Pickfair. You're kidding. In 1990, leaving behind only the pool, the two-bedroom guest wing, and the front Gate, which you can still drive by. Tonight. Okay, I'm going to
1: be honest with you real quick. Of all the reasons to destroy Los Angeles history, if somebody's like, I thought it was ghosts, I'd be like, all right, I kind saw of makes- a lady
0: in a robe. <laughs> It caused an uproar and at the time she said it was because of termites but years later she admitted I was afraid of the ghosts. She said you can deal with termites yeah. and you can deal with plumbing issues but you can't deal with the supernatural. I
1: absolutely agree with her. Which
0: is why I'm here to pitch to you today my supernatural plumbing company. <laughs> That's how Pickfair came. But you can dr- those gates are still there. The That's gates cool. that the King of Siam once walked
1: through. And saw Douglas Fairbanks running naked as the gates opened up. And, oh,
0: is he taping it down? Yeah, Yeah, that's just my little detour of parts of Mary Pickford's. And you kind of
1: touched on the sort of what she went through. You know, her life seemed sad at the end. Uh, no. Oh, okay. You're right. I, <laughs> that, that they not, really want her to be in Sunset Boulevard? None of them, me, what's sad about that? Let me
0: recalibrate my emotion detector. You're right. It isn't sad to drink home alone with your third husband and never leaving
1: the house. It would be sad if it was a fourth husband. During the 20s, Mary was now bordering on her 30s and felt like it was inappropriate to keep being cast as a child. Like like you brought up in 1920, she played Pollyanna when she was 28. And Mary Pickford- Who's Pollyanna? Like you're saying that like I should- I, oh. I know the movie,
0: but like is it supposed to be a young lady? Yeah, yeah
1: it's a young girl. Okay. It's a young girl who is cute in a small southern town that she moves in with her aunt and then she falls off a tree and has no legs. That's later. That's what Pollyanna about. I mean, the one with Hayley Mills is about that. <laughs> Mary Pickford was also the first movie star to get typecast and couldn't seem to get her audience to make the jump with her to more adult roles. They wanted her to continue playing the innocent types and they kind of like would not let her stray from that. In some of her roles, she was able to channel her inner pain and experiences for roles of an abused child. And it really resonated with people. And even still people like even now, when people talk about those movies of the silent era, they talk about her acting like like her acting was so good in those roles where she had to play an abused child that people in 2022 were like look at that that was the thing about it was that she was a 28 year old playing a child around actual children who were the same height as her <laughs> and she's the most successful Wait, she woman- was really short she was pretty short okay. yeah like she had like an ageless face for like a really long time in her life she just had a face of a little girl so she would like the most successful woman in show business wants to change and isn't really able to two more significant things happen at the end of the 20s that further solidify Mary Pickford's name in Hollywood history her and Douglas Fair Banks become the first official movie stars to have their hand and footprints placed in fr- in the cement at really? Grauman's Chinese Theater in April of 1927.
0: It wasn't R2-D2. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't R2-D2 and C-3PO, the biggest Hollywood couple I can think of?
1: According to legend slash rumor, the actual... First person was Norma Talmadge when she accidentally walked into the, into the theater through wet cement, which is apparently I don't know if this is true uh, on, on hands and feet. <laughs> I dropped my keys. As her contacts fell yeah. out.
0: This gives me an idea.
1: Now we got to do it with all the actors to make it look like that's not a mistake. Because I will not repay for that. I'm not <laughs> cement is expensive. That. Yeah, because of that, like the joke or tradition comes from her walking uh, through wet cement. So the, so the first time it wasn't a joke was with Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks. Mary and Douglas were also two of the 36 founding members of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts created in 1927. Mary and Doug also went to work on creating a lecture series on filmmaking at USC and created the first film course on history of film hoping that it would uh, set the Whoa. groundwork to elevate filmmaking to the status of other fine arts which it did. Huh. Also real quick I want to say in uh, 1929 at Grand Central Air Terminal, which we covered she christened the TWA aircraft, the city of Los Angeles, prior to the first coast-to-coast flight. The plane was called the city of Los Angeles. She christened it. That plane, the city of Los Angeles-
0: Went on to be the first
1: coast-to-coast flight, which took off from Glendale, which is now where the Imagineering building is. Where did
0: it fly when she christened it? Was that the coast to coast flight or just that was it? That was the coast oh, to coast okay. flight, but so she it was probably
1: smashed it and it went on its way. Yeah, that used to be like spanking horse. Giddy up, giddy up! I'm gonna hit you with a champagne bottle. Airplanes hate that. <laughs> so by the end of the 1920s, Mary the pilots like went standing on top, whipping the plane. Whoa, whoa, boy, whoa! By the end of the 20s, Mary Pickford was at the top of her game, and then. The oh no's happened. In 1928, oh no, her mom and business manager, Charlotte, passed away. And they were you know, obviously really close. So
0: they, it wasn't like a bad relationship between them?
1: No, I think they disagreed sometimes, but it seemed like a really like a functioning relationship. You should never
0: disagree with your mother. I learned Shame that. Shame on you, Mary.
1: <laughs> (laughs) Shame on you, uh, Norman. Let's just say it. A boy's best
0: friend is his mother. You shouldn't really go against her. I mean, you don't do that to your best friend.
1: She's a little nutty, sure, but she doesn't belong in a nut house. Also, don't check on her, please. God, don't check on her. I'm begging you to not check on her. I got to sink your car if you check on her. If you need anything from the cellar, I will get it. I will get it for you. Don't worry. It's kind of a two-person job. I'll handle it. I'm two people. (laughs) Mary was obviously after her mom died. She was wrought with grief and she shocked fans worldwide by cutting off her golden curls. That she was famous for by the way that's how I felt when I walked into work after I got a haircut I wanted like people fainting yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> oh no what happened to our little baby our little long-haired shaggy <laughs> baby sweetheart America's sweetheart cut his hair you cut your hair audiences were not happy about her shedding a defining physical characteristic Mary Pickford was the first movie star to make her fans angry by having a re- like having a real life and not just being an unchanging doll on the shelf
0: isn't that what happened in like, like Arliss or something where like the character was known for having curly hair. Felicity and was, Felicity,
1: Felicity had, Carrie Russell had long curly hair and people were like, this is my favorite part of the show yeah, and yeah, she and cut then it. And the they like immediately cancelled it. <laughs> which sucks because Carrie Russell's great. Her and Karen Culkin should be in a feature together. America's two sweethearts. <laughs> um, when Charlotte died, she gave a large portion of her money to Mary and a considerable amount to the other kids, Lottie and Jack. Her reasoning for that was like the family rode on the back of Mary's successes. She carried them all and she worked so hard to ensure they all had a good life. I would like to formally retire the phrase, the man of the house, instead use the Mary Pickford of the house. (laughs) When her dad died, Gladys Smith became the Mary Pickford of the house and helped the entire family out. At eight years old, started doing that. There's that blow. And then the talkies hit, which was the Great Depression of the silent film era. <laughs> it ended many careers of successful silent film stars. When synchronized film first came into motion pictures, it was treated like a gimmick. Like yeah, even like 3D. Exactly, like Mary Pickford. Like 3D even. has proven itself to be. <laughs> Have you seen Creature Black Lagoon in 3D? I think you're not understanding.
0: I, I don't think you've seen Avatar lately.
1: Or Jackass 3D. <laughs> even Mary said it's like putting Lip Rouge on the Venus de Milo. And just like motion pictures had been seen as a novelty, it was Turner not... Neil. Hold on, can you backtrack a little bit? Can she draw that? What color? It said that Mary Pickford was the first movie star to attempt a role in the talkie, like like a big, big star. Uh, her first talkie was in 1929's Coquette, in which she got to act her age usually put down but this time it was a career goal (laughs) audiences again not happy about her playing an adult they were upset that she was playing a flapper with a bob instead of her golden curls and now she is talking a lot of articles say that her talking career was a disaster but homegirl won an oscar for it in 1930 she was the second woman to ever win best actress at the academy awards what movie was this coquette
0: Again, like
1: I do not I will, know what these. I probably movies watched are. ten minutes of this just to hear her voice. But the, you know, it's one of the first talkies, so it's primitive and captured a lot of background noise. Pickford didn't really <laughs> like performing in a talkie because you have to remember the director still talked, like yeah. bigger bigger faster <laughs> faster yeah she had to you know remember her lines lots of background noise as it, an ex act- it's, it's like what
0: when we were doing uh, to compare ourselves to Mary Pickford it was yeah. like when we were doing the video yeah. stuff and we're like
1: This cut we have to, edit to it. yeah yeah we have to do this in one take just edit it and you're like no you have to remember Remember to light and say it at the camera. I'm like, but you can edit it, right? <laughs> That's why there's so many parts of that video where your head is just like twitching from yeah, side to side. And then another thing that I that it was a completely different experience as an actress being in a talkie. Her voice was high pitched, which only added to her childlike presence and she wanted to escape from that. So in 1929 Mary and Doug Sounds like Mickey Mouse. (laughs) Kind of. I'm here to Paulina. I want to dance for everybody right now. I'm a flabber after all. Please. My grandchildren (laughs) are going to watch this. In 1929 Mary and Doug worked together in The Taming of the Shrew their first and last co-starring film. The 30s were real hard on our girl. In 1933 her brother Jack dies from complications of being a raging alcoholic. God
0: like every man in her life. Yeah.
1: Douglas Fair Banks went was overseas for months at a time and was reported to be having an affair. Again, she tried to make it work, but it was failing. This caused Mary to start an incredibly dangerous habit. She was drinking to self-medicate, which she kind of never had done before. Uh, Luella Parsons printed on the front pages that they were separating, and the two announced their divorce in 1933, which still took three years to officiate. Uh, he ends up marrying British socialite Lady Sylvia Ashley. Who cares about that bum? But Mary Pickford ends up marrying a co-star that she had like an electric on-screen presence with, Charles Buddy Rogers which is weird because Buddy Holly's first name is also Charles so is Charles (laughs) Buddy a thing? They married in 1936 the same year that her sister dies of a heart attack again Mary was absolutely crushed but this one stung in particular hard because now she's the last member of her family like her family that she grew up with mm-hmm. at this point with the monumental career this woman has had she decides to retire after her final film Secrets in 1933 but she was far from being a lazy housewife she started a cosmetic company she founded an elderly program for movie stars who had no one to take care of them that, that's
0: the motion picture fund that's which right which is in, it's now in Calabasas that's she's, a great place it, it is it was and it's a great program
1: and it, an incredible thing for her to have done uh, she starts writing pamphlets on Christian a science a people died
0: there During COVID.
1: Go on. Not her fault. Prove it. But they saw a woman in white walking around (laughs) coughing.
0: And she had a high pitched voice, (laughs) a bob.
1: Looked like a little girl, but it also looked like a 29 year old. She wrote pamphlets on Christian science, which is not a good thing. It's just a fact. She kept producing films and working in radio. She was still a vice president at this time of United Artists until the mid 30s and was truly the only founder working for the company at a certain point.
0: Right. Charlie Chaplin was doing his own
1: thing. Yeah. And the rest were dead. Yeah. Dead or their careers were dead. Uh, She wrote her autobiography. Free Sunshine and Shadow in the mid 50s Buddy Rogers and her also adopted two children but Hickford was kind of like at this point was something of like a narcissistic Hollywood mom it wasn't a good relationship she had with her adopted kids you know they offered her the role of Norman Desmond in Sunset Boulevard and a lot of people say that she would have been perfect for that role <laughs> after the 50s she becomes like you like you said like a secluded alcoholic forgotten by the film industry washed away by new stars who traded innocence for sex appeal she was said that she wanted to take a torch to her collection of all her films she'd ever been in which you know she had the copies <laughs> of like she had some of the last copies of these movies. I don't see how she could play Norma Desmond. <laughs> <laughs> What's Norma Desmond about that? But either she was talked out of it or the statement didn't get her the attention she wanted so that, that never happened.
0: She's standing there with a torch and nobody Anybody cares. <laughs> In
1: 1975, the Academy gave Mary Pickford an honorary Academy Award for her contribution to the cinema. She was too weak to appear right. at the Academy so they visited her at Pickfair to film it, her accepting it and just like her fans of the 20s, the 70s audience was surprised to see her grown up. It's
0: so bizarre. Like yeah. when you see like it's crazy enough that this lady who literally feels like she existed a thousand years yeah. ago and there's a video of her from the 70s yeah, at the it Award. blows
1: me away that she was alive to watch Star Wars well she was there when they were filming reshooting the cantina scene. I gotta see the rest of this the whole movie's about the band right make him shoot first I'm Mary Pickford I demand it her presence as an older woman really upset people it was really unsettling she was wearing like a satin robe with a fur collar and draped in jewels which sounds like she had on like a- again how could she be Norma Desmond she had on a wig of blonde curls and a false eyelashes and lipstick and it was a huge gap from how those who remember her thought about her which sucks Oh it, really?
0: It, She's not the 15 year old girl from 1912 exactly. anymore?
1: It makes me so angry because like this is what a woman in her 80s who's rich she got stalled up like this is what she looks like why are people like Ooh, girl like let her be <laughs> well,
0: As if the young people in the 70s looked good oh, they yeah. looked like they were 90.
1: Dennis Hopper? The youngest man in walks Hollywood? Walks in every room like he's Charles Manson and he's gonna be like, oh, God, she has on the (laughs) 80 year old woman has lipstick on. Yeah, it's really upsetting. And I think that I remember hearing maybe that she had gone like she had a stroke before that. So like functionality of her body wasn't like at Mm -hmm. its peak. So like she just seemed like an old woman, which she was an old woman. She was born almost 100 years before this was filmed. Mike Royko of the LA Times wrote, Mary Pickford, the one time screen darling of America has managed to offend people. (laughs) She did it by growing old. I don't know if that's a condemnation of the crowd's reaction or Mary Pickford, but the response? That was a response to one of those. It
0: depends if it's written by medium or if it's written yeah. by
1: the director. <laughs> <laughs> also, during her career highlight reel they showed, they showcased her cutesy roles associated with her movie stardom, but not her business savvy. None of yeah. her contributions to the film industry or her as a pioneer of the media. In January of 1979, Mary placed her substantial collection of photographs, documents and other memorabilia. She gave that to the Academy Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Library to establish the Mary Pickford collection that students and scholars could use for research. She died a stroke May of that year in Santa Monica.
0: What year was this? 70? 79. 79.
1: Okay. Yeah. So she didn't get to see The Re- Empire of No, no, no. <laughs> she, she left on a good note. The galaxy was saved and she could die in peace. We started to talk about Mary Pickford's contributions to LA and it ended up talking about her life and career and that's fitting because she was the first movie star in movie star town and helped build the industry that is Pretty much the backbone of the city that we're living in, yeah. and she also enjoyed chili dogs. <laughs> one time, and one time, at, at least one time, <laughs> we accuse her of being like a hound for it. <laughs> but that's mary
0: Pickford's life. That's Mayor Pickford's life. It, she really did. The more we look at what she had her finger on, yeah. like Beverly Hills, mm-hmm. the modern way that the movie industry works, the modern the way that you function like,
1: as a celebrity too. She like as a celebrity, yeah.
0: how a woman can do business in a man's industry. Ab- absolutely,
1: and it's you know her name came up in our podcast, and still you know every once in a while will come up as i was noticing i, w- I would you know follow hyperlinks and get to something that she was associated with and like every time they would list celebrities they always picked her first it always be like Mary Pickford Douglas Fairbanks well it's because
0: pick is in the name pick me she's she's beloved like she's still like Douglas Fairbanks you look back on and still like wow Douglas Fairbanks is a movie star but it also comes with like crazy drunk Mm -hmm. uh, letcher like just kind of gross yeah but like Mary Pickford kind of like she came out clean like we're from like we're talking about the big four of this like which one of those except Mary Pickford is still not problematic yeah, today?
1: absolutely.
0: I can tell you, only Charlie Chaplin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the wonderful choices he makes. You read everything through her entire life like, oh, the hardest working person in any room was always Mary Pickford. Right. And she had to be. And she had to be.
0: Uh, someone to strive to be. Someone who if we have strived to be for a hundred episodes now.
1: I want to be confused for a 10-year-old all the time. I,
0: I want people to still think I have long, beautiful, <laughs> curly hair. Okay, so as we're winding down here, we've got a listener question. And this one, It's fitting for for Uh the 100th episode. This is from... Yeah, mama. Oh my Greg's god, mother. my
1: mom, one of our first listeners, other than Amelia.
0: That's true. Maybe your mom might have been our first listener, period. Quite possibly, yeah. So this is this is fitting that she's our last listener. <laughs> uh, she asks, what episode is your personal favorite? Wow. Favorite or favorites? She says favorite. I'm doing favorites because <laughs> it's too hard. I can't deal with your mom's rules. <laughs> okay, I have, in terms of content yeah. and having fun recording it, for some reason, Monsters and the Nerds Who Love Them yeah. comes to mind, and also The Haunted Canyons. For some reason, those stand out as being fun to research but also fun to record with you
1: my favorite Creepy Christmas Hanukkah is the Canyon one yeah yeah, yeah that's a really good one Monsters and Nerds Who love Them was I think one of my favorites maybe my top favorite might be Local Celebrities
0: oh wait, wait interesting
1: uh, Angeline yeah Dennis that w- was a fun Woodruff, one yeah that's maybe my top Favorite. Well, I had, um,
0: there were two that were also just very special yeah. in terms of our first live show where we did local commercials right, at the Comedy Central stage, at the Comedy because, Central of Paul stage Stein. because of Paul Stein. Thank yeah. you, Paul Stein. And also the show we did at the Adobe right. in North Hills about Valley oddities because those were, the first one was our first ever live thing. So right. that was really kind of scary and fun and yeah. exciting. And then the, the Adobe one was just like, even though everybody there was either uh, Melissa Ramsey Omri. Ramsey Omri was there. And then a bunch of eighty-year-olds, yeah. but they loved us. Oh yeah, yeah, they yeah. yeah. Ate, we they were eating out of our palm. We had Jello in our palm of our hands.
1: <laughs> I remember we yeah we got some solid laughs from that. That was a lot of fun. We were like outdoors. Yeah, doing it was it. outdoors. It was like a nice sort of springy, summery yeah. kind of night in the valley. I remember everyone, all all of the people who didn't who didn't know us, stood up all at once, and they all sort of single-file line walked <laughs> towards us, and were like, yeah. "Oh, what?" <laughs> you know, I once met yeah. Clark Gable <laughs> Our second live show. So no, our third, our second one at the Comedy Central stage was so much fun because it felt like we were putting on a like it felt like we were had a late night show because we had like the bits, the, the,
0: the Halloween one the Halloween we one yeah, yeah. we had
1: like a little stage that we set up with fake candles and we drew like a pentagram on the ground that had an L A in it. I w- I'm still so proud of that one yeah. and
0: we did such good work and yet. It was less attended than our other right, show, right, 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 which was kind of disappointing to me. Yeah. Not thank you very much to everybody who came, but yeah. like we put so like that was such we a good really show. We really went. That was a we really like good had show. bits. We were wearing costumes. We wore costumes. I made a costumes. spider costume. You
1: did. You were Spiderman. <laughs> a I, was, spider, I was just a spider man. A spider come man a sp- <laughs> But like it's I it, was a spider dude. It made me feel so like I had made it because we were running it with the crew, and you and I were just prepping, yeah. and we were you know and we the comedy to the, central logo was on the wall. Uh, the Exactly, but it it was like, oh, this is like showbiz. Like we made it to showbiz, even though like we were not paid. And 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 look at us now, yeah, the kings of podcasts across the hall from where we
0: started, (laughs) hiding in a corner of a classroom at a certain (laughs) university because we're afraid that the janitor
1: will see us and kick us out. Hot dog, one is also I think a great episode. Any food one, really, yeah.
0: But the episode's coming to an end. Yeah, it's just our hundredth episode. Now is just the time that I think we should get a little maudlin and and thank our. Our, one, our, our 100 listeners <laughs> feels like it I, like, I misspoke it's not far <laughs> off this, this has been 9 years of doing this mm-hmm. 100 months of doing this yeah. We ha- it's been hard
1: yeah. it hasn't always been the most fun it's it sometimes I treasure when people compliment oh you guys seem like you put a lot of hard work into that as opposed to like oh you guys seem like you have fun like that doesn't mean anything to me <laughs> but when someone's like you seem like you work really hard I'm like there were nights I didn't sleep because no the research idea. was
0: due the next day you know how day? many times my fingers have gone numb from
1: editing all night, but... I was at the Staples counter looking up the bank robbery episode on my phone and writing notes on receipts so I could yeah. leave Staples on a bu- a two-hour bus ride to get to CSUN so you could pick me up at my mom's house and we could rec- record till four in the morning.
0: That's how I remember time is where I was when I was doing research yeah. on certain episodes.
1: Yeah, I've lost so many great weekends to this podcast. <laughs> that I'm, were made even better. I'm, I'm very... Uh, lucky to be working with you nobody else is as hard working as you are as much of a son of a bitch you are
0: As much as I tell you to rearrange where your microphone is pointing, I like every single day. I'm terrified. Like I hope Greg isn't moving out of state today because I <laughs> cannot do. Like I I cannot and I do not want to do this without you. But also thank you to all of our fans. Mm-hmm. Like there have been there's the people like Emilio mm-hmm. and Joe and jo- like oh, so many people. Yeah. I don't want to start naming them because then I'm going to leave people out. But I've got a list. Here's a list of everyone I'm leaving out. Uh, but the people who have been listening to us from the beginning to stick with us this long yeah. is. Crazy. I think these people might be deranged, but okay. And people who have found us later, people who have just found us yeah. and are listening to us. Thank you. Like it's so hard to get. It
1: it means so much that yeah.
0: people are listening.
1: Yes, it does. As we are finding out, it's so hard to get eyes on us. Yes. So anybody who's willing to go out of their way and be like, "Oh, we see you," is so yeah. refreshing, and it makes me so happy I didn't quit six years ago like I wanted to <laughs> but uh, like
0: as much as we complain to each other of like we need more people we need more people we need more people yeah. that's not that that's not to, to put down oh, the yeah, people absolutely who not. are listening yeah, no, who are like not. you're keeping us going
1: yeah 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 yeah. It, for sure we've been growing like we haven't been losing fans we've been yeah. gaining them well, sometimes entire- I mean, after I this told episode. you not to do that. Episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no,
0: it's thank you all. Thank you to all of you. And here's to a hundred more fans. Oh, <laughs> I should have waited until you got that last word. Okay. Greg revealed his true colors. <laughs> uh, well, if you want to be, you know, we've just praised you. How about you praise us on, uh, Apple podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts, leave us a review, open up your Apple podcast app on your iPhone, leave us some stars. It makes, it helps us out, gets us more noticeable, more legitimate. Mm-hmm. Follow us on Instagram at LA, underscore Meekly. Right. Twitter at LA Meekly.
1: Visit our website, LAMeeklyPodcast.com. All our episodes are archived there as well as videos we put out, the Meekly music boxes on there, the field trips. And watch our video. That's right. Uh,
0: how many cities are in Los Angeles County. And also, you know what? There's still shirts. Buy some shirts. I want to be done with the... We have small and medium. Buy shirts. Buy shirts. What are they? They're $25. That's right. included. Please buy a shirt. Yeah, we don't want to make If you really shirts. love... A, if we have to go to 100 more episodes with these shirts... I I will burn my, I will burn them.
1: Oh, they're vintage now. You had them so long that they're vintage.
0: (laughs) So that was our hundredth episode. (laughs)
1: <laughs> the last words ever spoken by <laughs> Hilly. They drove off of a cliff together that night. <laughs> they kept talking about Thelma and Louise, but I didn't think they were going to do that part of the movie.
0: They thought they were talking about Starsky and Hutch, but they got a little confused. So yeah, again, thank you all yeah. for listening. Uh, we hope this one is, uh, this is a long, oh, one, a long
1: but one. A very long one.
0: We'll see you... Uh, Breaking off the next century of
1: episodes. That's right. So that's been yet another episode of LA Meekly. Sucking on chili dogs with Mary Pickford since twenty thirteen. I stopped my maraschino cherries.
0: Uh, you haven't eaten them yet? No, I was waiting for uh, it's all watery.
1: You want the you want the whole want thing?
0: The whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I want the give me the jar. Leave the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Before we say goodnight after this 100 episode celebration we just did, we just want to remind you one more time that this episode was brought to you by the Hometown History Podcast. Hometown History shares personally curated histories from hometowns around the globe from lesser known cities in the world than this
1: smelly old Los Angeles. It
0: smells so bad. It does. I didn't want to say anything cuz it might embarrass it, but like I think Los Angeles is going through puberty.
1: <laughs> there are times when we're doing research and you know somebody will be born, somebody who's became famous Los Angeles were born in like another they're obviously their hometown somewhere else and you learn like a weird fact and like I think I could do research on this whole yeah, town I know. and the whole history of this weird theater that burned down. Well look
0: we don't have to this hometown history podcast does that for
1: us. Here's a here's a couple more examples I have okay. of
0: some of their Hit episodes. The man who was buried alive in front of a crowd in Hammond, Indiana <laughs> and if you think that that wasn't me in a past life <laughs> anything for the crowd. It was a bit to me. They also have Bell Boyd. The Siren of the Shenandoah. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, no. So if you want to hear history from uh, different parts of the country, more like that, then you can listen to Hometown History Podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Hometown History, Greg.
1: That's another podcast. (laughs)